0: Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. I am your co host, Neve, and I'm joined as always by your other co host, Connor.
1: Welcome back, everyone.
0: Uh, and then we have our guest for this episode, uh, Josh McKenzie from Swim Fans.
2: Hi, uh, representing myself and uh, my two beautiful co hosts. Thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah. Um, and Craig was once again not able to make it, so we, we will move on valiantly. Um, maybe Shonen Bat got him. Um, yeah. that, that's kind of bleak to say. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. Yeah, you Me saw actually. it on the news. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Are these Like the other women that I live with in my condo, in my condo yeah. complex. What, they said that.
2: Yeah. The
0: anti councils. Uh, he's targeting, he's targeting podcasters now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously we are, we are wrapping things up with episode seven through 13 of Paranoia agent. Um, Oh, we didn't do the thing where we decided who's doing synopses. So, um, we got too distracted that's okay. laughing about stuff that people will enjoy.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, we got, we got into a heated debate about creationism. Um, <laughs> also we're doing episodes eight through 13. Oh, that's right. Um, but I, I'll do uh, episode eight and then, uh, Nev, do you want to go? And then Josh can go third. Yeah, and then we'll just, like, cycle. Okay. That sounds great. Uh, Episode 8, Happy Family Planning. Uh, The three members of an internet suicide pact meet each other for the first time in an attempt to come up with ways to commit suicide. The two older members of the trio, an old man known as Fuyabachi and a young man known as Zebra, are shocked to discover that the third member, Kamome, is actually a little girl, and try multiple times in vain to abandon her, um, because they don't want to see a little girl Uh, commit suicide. She finds them in an abandoned house trying to gas themselves with carbon monoxide, uh, but the house is suddenly demolished. They then try to jump in front of a subway train, but another man throws himself in front of the train first. Despite them commenting that the man was very painfully mangled, they see him get up and walk away uh, afterwards. Um, Kind of like showing the hand of the episode here. um, While everyone is still looking at the corpse on the Train tracks. The man like walks away. Uh, finally, the trio try hanging themselves from a tree on a mountainside, but the branch snaps. Uh, the men fall down a slope and get separated from Komome, um revealing that uh, Zebra's locket, which has fallen off, um, contains pictures of him with another man. They decide to go back for Komome because they fear that she will die if left alone in the forest. Um, so, after uh, reuniting with Komome... Um, they then visit a bathhouse where it is revealed that Kozuka Makoto, um, otherwise known as the Shonen Bat imposter, um, was a member of their suicide pact. They try to sleep, uh, they try to sleep, uh, until they see the silhouette of Shonen Bat. Um, and uh, like, as this is going on, they're kind of like, oh, I wish, you know, Shonen Bat killed Kozuka. I wish Shonen Bat would come and kill us. Yeah. Um. So, uh, they finally, uh, Shonen bat does appear, um, at basically attacking like people at this resort, um, and delighted Komome and Zebra run at him with open arms, um, with Fuyabachi trailing behind, um, but a terrified Shonen bat flees the building. Later, Fuyabachi notices that the three of them do not cast shadows. While singing and skipping hand in hand, the three stop to pose behind a group of girls, getting their picture taken by another girl with a digital camera, um, and, then they move on, uh, but when the girls check to see how their photo turned out, they're shocked and frightened um, by what they see in the photo. Uh, the, the scene then zooms in um, on a condom machine behind the three girls,
0: which reads, Happy Family Planning. Uh, episode 9, etc., or ETC, um, which again gets revealed at the end, but I don't remember exactly how. Um, I think it's like the apartment complexes, spell it out from above. Anyway, uh four, uh, four housewives share stories that they have heard about Shonen bat. Uh, the first tells the story about a teenage boy who's desperately trying to cram for his big math exam. Um, and then during the exam, he's sneezing out the equations, runs to the toilet. Um, and like it is continuing to just lose the equations. They're just like falling all out of him. um, there's a persistent knocking at the stall door. Um, during this, while he's like in the the toilet, uh, freaking out, uh, but he ignores until he looks up and sees that it's Shonen Bat peering down at him. Um, and then we get a teacher entering. It the floor is just like covered with the sea of equations, um, and the presumably the boy is dead. Um, then the second story is of a young wife stuck at home with her mother-in-law, who's just like insulting her, making a bunch of demands, uh, just being like a very terrible mother-in-law. And um, things just kind of escalate. Uh, the wife is like possibly going to uh, do something to the the mother-in-law. Uh, they hear the knock and they think that it's the husband and they go running. Uh, the mother-in-law gets there first, but it's shown in Bat and he um, kills her. Uh, even though as we kind of talked before, and this gets like pointed out within the story here as the housewives are talking, um, I believe it's the new housewife to the neighborhood, uh, Kamohara. She's like, that doesn't make sense. I thought it was the people who were under pressure. It should have been the, the wife who was hit and not the, the mother-in-law. And they're like, well, maybe just like she got there first and Shonenbat bat was trying to kill the, the, the wife and not the mother-in-law. Um, so then, uh, they kind of pressure her to tell a story, um, since she, like, pointed out this, this error, um, and she tells the story of a doctor whose, uh, nurses mess up in in vitro fertilization, um, and so the baby is unrelated to either parent, it's just like completely different people's sperm and egg, um, and, uh, the pregnancy starts having complications, the mother to is complaining, uh, about pains um, and they look in the uh, ultrasound and it's revealed that the developing fetus is like a little Shonen in bat. Um, the other housewives mock her. This is impossible. Why would a baby already have a bat in his hand a Shonen bat already exists. So why would the baby be like happening now? Um, and there's like a little bit of like bullying and ostracization happening here throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um Then, next episode, a girl, or next story that's told, um, a girl is dying and believes that when the last leaf falls from the vines outside of her window, she too will die. Uh, There's this boy who presumably loves her, given the fact that this is all animated with, like, very shoujo romance tropes. Um, And (laughs) he goes and paints a photorealistic leaf on the vine uh, so that it will never fall, and then she will never die. But when the morning comes... um, he's up on the ladder and looks in the window and Shonen bat kills the girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, uh, Kamahara points out that this is a very famous story, which it is. This is the last leaf by O. Henry, a classic story. Um, the next story, there's a pitcher, uh, surrounded and hounded by his teammate on how to throw the next pitch. Um, and then he looks and sees that the next batter that he's pitching to is Shonen bat. Um, here, Kamohara, the the new housewife, is like that was televised. Like <laughs> that would obviously that's untrue. We will be talking about it beyond just like you telling the story, uh, but all the other housewives are like, no, no, I saw that on TV too. Um, <laughs> then one of the housewives' neighbors. Um, that like all of them together one of their neighbors who's a former boxer who uh recently gained weight passes by and so then a housewife tells the story about him like basically running and then like seeing food just laying in the street um and then it will like fly up and it'll do like a very dramatic uh you know sports anime like punch still frame hitting the food um and so it's like seeing all these different foods and defeating them. But um, the fourth one, it's just this giant feast laid out uh, and Shonen bat is standing there with the feast before him. Um, and then you hear the like knockout uh, bell. Um, Kamohara, uh, they then kind of like pressure her to do a story. Cause she keeps like pointing out the ridiculousness. And uh, so she, Rapid Fire does multiple Shonen Bat stories. So there's one where a man is starving, a uh, castaway man on an island, and then Shonen Bat is rising out of the sea. Um, there's another one that's like a very like manga style uh, or very early anime Um, corrupt politician, possibly dealing with the Yakuza, um, and then Shonen Bat comes and attacks them. Um, And then the last one is uh, we get, like, a little bit of Millennium Actress final movie launching into space, but Shonen Bat is in space. It's just the Shonen Bat in space one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know when those horror franchises really jump the shark and they have it happen in space. 100%. Um, (laughs) Anyway, the other housewives deny all of her stories and uh, basically throughout her, like, Hey, our, isn't your husband a script editor? I think is his role. It, it's something related to scripts, but I believe it was editor. Um, Shun should be better at like making up a good story that's like going to be somewhat believable and and like interesting. Um, then at the very end of the episode, uh, Kamohara returns home and finds her husband bleeding from a head wound on the floor. He's like crawling towards her, uh, begging for help. And when he says that Shonen Bat as uh, the one who attacked him, uh, she just reacts with delight and is like, tell me all the details. I need to know everything about the attack. Um, that's the end of the episode. It's a um, very fun, frantic episode. <laughs> <laughs> Both
2: of the episodes you guys just described are yeah. extremely good, by the way. Um, episode 10, which I also have a major soft spot for, uh, called uh, Mellow Marumi, uh, is a episode about Um, an animation studio uh, producing the Marumi cartoon, the uh, eponymous dog mascot designed by Tsukiko before the first episode, Um, the trials and tribulations of meeting the deadlines of the production and also their murders. Um it it all rotates around uh, Sarita, who's like a a production coordinator Um, he is always falling asleep on the job or just sort of not um, doing what he's supposed to be doing to help ensure uh, that the production stays on track deadline wise which is his job Um, he uh, as a sort of a framing device he is driving um, on this endless stretch of highway uh, to get to the station a half hour before the episode airs he is in his car with the uh, tape for the episode ready to air um, and he keeps nodding off uh, in his car. And when he falls asleep, he remembers um, uh, various tribulations. Um, uh, the uh, both episodic and art directors are mad at him for not telling them about deadlines. His production manager is angry uh, that he's just not you know straight up doing anything. Um, he uh, fails to do the proper appointments and errand running required to keep the deadline on track. Um, and this whole time, he is being pursued uh, occasionally uh, in his car by Little Slugger. Um, So he'll wake up, nod off, have a memory, wake up, be pursued, um, fall asleep again, um, have a memory, uh, resume being pursued. Um, And uh, as he's he's sort of remembering these difficulties in the production, uh, the uh, various members of the production begin uh, dying. Um, First, the writer is paralyzed, I think from like the neck down. Um, uh, the, uh, episodic director is not long after the various production staff, not long after that, uh, the art director <laughs> just did dead in the street. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, Sarita feels increasingly, um, unappreciated. Uh, nothing's his fault. That's sort of his mantra throughout the episode. Um, and it, you know, in the in the final moments uh, when he's driving, it's revealed that Saruta himself is doing um, the 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 batting. He's doing the the slugging, as it yeah. were, to the to his uh, his own production team. Um, with his last bit of consciousness, a uh, little slugger appears in the car behind him, um, does his thing, uh, and Saruta, bleeding in the street, um, is lying there. And someone from the network comes out, takes the tape out of his hand, um, and uh, rushes in. Uh, to get the episode in before it aired. And uh, as the episode goes out, we sort of see the sequence that they're animating at the beginning of the episode where uh, Marumi just keeps repeating, take a rest, um, over and over again as it fades to black. Uh,
1: Episode 11, no entry. Um, When Shonen Bat comes for Ikari Musai, the wife of Ikari the detective, uh, she confronts him about what humans really are and the problems he has caused. Um, basically being like, oh, I'll show you that humans are not what you think. Um, and then goes into uh, the narrative of her um, sh- her chronic illness and her marriage with um, Detective Ikari. Um, she's like fresh off of having to turn down a life-saving medical treatment that her husband, who is now a security card, will come to find out, uh, cannot afford. Uh, and she tells Shonen that how her life changed when she met Ikari, how supportive he was even when they discovered she could not have children. Um, and just in general with her um, chronic illness and um, uh, essentially like her, her disability um, over time, she grew fearful that his devotion to his work was an excuse to avoid her. Um, as this is going on, um, it is like rumored um, I think in episode uh, nine, um, where the beginning of this episode, we hear people talking about how Shonen Bat is now growing larger. um, We're appearing in this larger form, Um, and as this is going on throughout the episode, we see him. um, We see this happening. He's like growing um, as they're talking and as she's talking to him in the living room. Um, But um, when uh, she like as she is uh, like coping with these thoughts of despair that she's articulating, um, he's like shrinking back down again. Um, so he's kind of like growing and shrinking um, as the, like uh, as Misai's, um like the tenor of her story changes. Um, he, uh, he then ultimately like grows larger again and he um, prepares to like hit her um but she just laughs in his face. Um she informs him that humans are not as weak as he thinks they are, uh, and that his existence is pointless as all his attacks do is provide people with a false sense of salvation. Um she draws upon her own husband's advice to hold on to reality and not fall into fantasy, um, and compares Shonenbat to Maroni. Upon hearing this, Shonenbat screams and promptly vanishes, along with everything around him. Um, although the damage that he's done to her house, um, is very real and remains. Um, and at the end of this, uh, after he vanishes, Misai uh, states that she she now plans to undergo the operation. Uh, in her cut through her narration, we also see former police detective Ikari is just finishing one shift as a construction worker uh, to go immediately to his security job at another site um, without returning home. While at his post, he strikes up a conversation with one of his coworkers, um, and is shocked to learn, um, sorry, I was trying to remember the guy's name. Um, oh, yeah. uh, I think it's Inuka, um, and is shocked to learn that the man is actually one of the first people he arrested as a cop. Um, the man is now old and serving as an honest member of society. Uh, and they then begin to like reminisce and converse about their relationship. Uh, during this conversation, Ikari reveals um, how he always wanted to be an old fashioned cop catching simple burglars, um, not like complicated psychological uh, crimes like the Shonen Bat case. Um, this is kind of his childhood fantasy that um, is the basis of his um, de- uh, detective work and his career choice. Uh, he is then promptly transported to a fantasy world, um, his childhood fantasy, um, which harkens back uh, – it has this older art style, um, two-dimensional, um, which is, I think, sig- significant, um, and basically represents this um, idealized past, um, this like communal, um, living um, – uh, you know, these quotidian like rhythms of life. Uh, in the real world, uh, Maniwa turns up at the Ikari home looking for Detective Ikari, um, but finds it wrecked by Shonen Bat. Um, and Misai uh, is distraught that Ikari has not returned home yet um, and informs Maniwa of this. Uh, when Maniwa asks how, her how she, uh, she defeated Shonen Bat, she says that she said he was like Muromi, um a distraction. Uh, and then Melo Moromi uh, switches on and plays on the
0: overturned TV. Uh, episode 12 <clears throat> Radar Man, uh, who we'll basically we'll, we'll find out. Uh, Maniwa is now Radar Man. <laughs> um, oh, so Maniwa, Yeah, engages in <laughs> battle, was shown in Bat, um, and also investigates uh, his past. Uh, first, he visits the mysterious old man at the hospital. This is the, the old guy who's been writing uh, in chalk on the sidewalk throughout the series. Um, and also kind of just like wandering around and has also done the um, next time on segments. Um, so meets with that old man just before he dies. Um, and his last words to Maniwa are, uh, dance with the rabbit which uh, is going to come up in a very obvious way here. But also we haven't talked about this, but a lot of the character names are like, you can connect to animals. Um, And so rabbit in Japanese is Usagi, which obviously connects with Sagi. Um, Sagi Tsukiko. Misai reiterates to Maniwa that Moromi and Shonen Bat are the same being. Uh, They kind of like talk more about this plan to try and defeat shonen bat um and while they're doing this they see on tv that uh sagitsukiko is being interviewed uh, about sort of the conception of murumi as a character um and she's talking about how murumi was based on her childhood dog um and you see these shots of early sketches that she did for the the mascot design um and one of them it's like a small little sketch in the corner kind of uh, resembles shonen bat um after seeing this, M- Money was like, kind of looking around, trying to figure out more about what that means. Um, and sees in a shop window the, like, reflection of uh, a little, like, bunny anime girl figure. Like a bunny girl. Um, and uh, she's, like, hopping around. And uh, in a very Alice in Wonderland way, he follows the white rabbit. Um, you know, dancing with the rabbit. Um, and goes to, uh, basically an anime figure sculptor. Um, the Wikipedia article said a doll maker, but he's like specifically doing anime figures here. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: and we've seen, we've seen him before in the, um, yes. Maria episode.
0: Yeah. Um, and, uh, he's currently making figures of all of Shonen Bat's victims, or at least like the main ones that we've seen. Um, then a uh, bunch of the anime girl figures that are on the shelves move around and speak to uh, Maniwa, and uh, tell him that they want to help defeat Shonen Bat. Um, so one of them that's kind of a like slightly cyberpunky design uh, like opens up to connect into a, a link to the internet, um, and they access the Maniwa's like detective database or something, and find data about Tsukiko's past. It's like a very silly sequence. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it kicks <Yeah>. ass. <laughs> it's like uh it's like
1: small soldiers.
0: Yeah. It's like a, small soldiers but like way more otaku.
2: I have a I have a note in my notes where I said I want a mega neko UI <laughs> just for, <laughs> just for my daily life.
0: It's like a normal UI except it just says "nya" at the end right. of every single <laughs> operation that you perform. Um <laughs> Um anyway, in accessing this, uh, they find a case from, uh, 10 years prior, um, when Tsukiko was 12. So I guess that makes her 22 during the, the main series. Um, and, uh, she claimed when she was 12 that she was attacked by a figure on roller ba- blades carrying a golden bat. Um, and so Maniwara then goes to visit Tsukiko's father. Uh, he sort of tells the story. I feel like we get most of the story here. But there's some details we, we learn in the next episode. Uh, mm-hmm. We kind of get, um, at least if you're piecing things together as an astute um, watcher, that like she had this dog, Maromi, um, um, let go of the leash. The dog ran out into traffic and got hit by a car. Um, and then the father feels really guilty that he was really harsh as a single father. There's no mother Um uh paranoid agent, weirdly uh, interested in like mothers and weird broken relationship, like broken lines of family, um, from the traditional family. But anyway, uh, he was a single father. He felt like he was really harsh. Um, and so she didn't want to get punished, and so she lied and said so there was an attack. And he was like, "I'm just going to believe her because, um, I've I feel bad about raising a daughter who's like this scared to just tell me the truth now." Um. And uh, in this process, he takes Maniwa to uh, a golden bat um, that is like sitting in the remains of the real Maromi's doghouse. Um, I think it happens in this episode first where Maniwa picks it up and it like turns into a, a holy sword. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the final JRPG weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maniwa's ultimate weapon. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go to moromi's doghouse which anyway yeah. um after discovering he, fi- he finally got the
1: last issue of Weapons Weekly
0: yeah <laughs> um after discovering the truth uh he calls Tsukiko and it's like basically your dad told me everything um and it's sort of being like dad said don't be afraid but then it's also like in that moment uh, pushing her of being like, Oh, you're the one who like was kind of the victimizer when you let go of Moromi's leash and you've been playing at victim. Um, and at this, the mascot Moromi character cuts the phone cable and, um, bat Bat appears. Muromi is like helping them escape. Uh, Maniwa comes and appears and is like heroically fighting off with the original bat. Um, and as the f- a- a fight draws to an end, um, or, uh, or as the fight ends in a draw, Tsukiko and Maromi disappear into the cartoon world of Ikari's fantasy. Um, and at that moment, all traces of, like, all the Maromi merch and everything vanishes from the human world. And there's, like, news stories about people upset that they want their, their Maromi plush or whatever. Which I understand. Uh, I would want a Moromi plush.
2: It's 100%. Cute. <laughs> Um, I want a Maromi, I was thinking this while watching that man that depraved man like slamming his fist on the glass door of whatever store is like I want a Maromi Hatsune Miku uh, uh collab. I want to see yeah, that. Yeah, that would be great. <sighs> Um, that, that was my hyper consumerism watching this man get blitzed by a black goo while, while being mad at a store for not having any Maromis. Watching the goo of consumerism
1: and escapism yes. annihilate a <laughs> whole city. You we were like,
0: "Yeah, I, like, I want this like, collab. Yeah. Like, you know what would be Damn. cute? It's... Why did they cease more on merchandising this Maromi?
2: If there was simply more Maromi merchandise, it couldn't all disappear. <laughs> <laughs> that was the flaw. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so I have the final episode. Um, It is the 13th episode. It is also titled The Final Episode. Um, As uh, we sort of just joked about, um, uh, there is a black goo um, coursing through Tokyo. Um, I think importantly, we see many of the characters from the first half of the show, um, definitely like Yuichi, Chono, come to mind immediately. Um, They're they're issues that were temporarily fixed by... um, by little slugger are now back uh, uh, uh you see chono kind of stumbling through the city as Maria you see um Ichi not being top of his class or being very cool uh, gripping his little his little um palm tree in terror and so this this um slime uh flows through Tokyo and it consumes um everything and everybody um Meanwhile, um, Ikari and uh, Sukiko are in his little uh, cartoon world from the past, his his little world of nostalgia where everything is safe and friendly. Um, and uh, you know, they're they're Sukiko sort of trying to reach him a little bit, but um, Ikari is like fully uh, nostalgia pilled. He loves it here. <laughs> um, he keeps <laughs> ordering more and more cigarettes, and he's just he's having a great time. Um, Fortunately, uh, Maniwa, with his radio, is able to um, contact uh, Ikari and Tsukiko from inside of um, the false reality in the form of like a TV set that um, the villagers are gathered around. Maniwa is telling uh, Tsukiko she needs to own up to the little slugger myth. She needs to uh, to come back to reality. They need to get back here and save Tokyo, more or less. Um, And Ikari smashes the television um, not wanting to return to the real world, um, and the people are psyched about that. He uh, instantly becomes like a like a like a sort of the picture of a of a Japanese cop in like the uniform and everything.
1: Yeah, in- instantly promoted to
2: to town police officer. Yeah. Um, he looks he looks very handsome in his little outfit, I gotta say.
0: Everyone's like um, Yay, Detoxifying <laughs> Culture Yeah. <laughs> I'll get to this article in a little bit, but yay, detoxifying culture.
2: <laughs> get rid of the TVs. Um Yeah. So, uh, all of this continues to sort of escalate a little bit in mania. Um, and it's like a, it's like a, a a festival night. There's fireworks going on in like the cartoon world. Um, and, uh, Ikari uh, begins to see his wife, um, in the real world. She's gone into, I think cardiac arrest. She's like in the Mm -hmm. hospital. She's at death's door. Um, but she has made contact with him, um, through the dimensions into this realm. Um, she has come more or less sort of just to say goodbye to tell him that she wanted to you know uh, to see him before she passes and he keeps avoiding her running away um uh sukiko herself even becomes a little girl for a minute her 12 year old self and uh, ikari remembers how much she wanted a daughter um but all of that changes when he can no longer flee from uh, from uh, misae um, he remembers, uh, we sort of see uh, her stories from his point of view where he told her that despite their difficulties, they can't live in a cartoon world, in a, fan- in a fantasy, they have to face reality. Um, so facing up to Misae as she fades away f- from life, um, he uh, smashes this cartoon world into pieces, um, uh, finally ending that by smashing uh, uh, Marami himself. Um, and they're back in the real world. Um, sort of like a shattering of glass in their back in reality. Um, and we see finally Sukiko's actual memories of the event when she was a child 10 years ago. Um, she is walking her dog through the park. Um, she appears to have like stomach or menstrual cramps. Um, let's go of um, uh, uh, Maromi's leash. Maromi Real life Maromi runs into traffic, um, is killed by a car. Uh, and the the young uh, uh, Tsukiko we see how she began to form the lie of, of little slugger not wanting to um, not wanting to take responsibility for the action um, but uh, present day Tsukiko appears to um, apologize to Marami more or less to the dead dog and to take responsibility for the situation um, fully admitting to herself that um, slugger was a lie um so the the Goo disappears, Slugger disappears, and then we have a time skip to two years in the future. Um, Tokyo is, has mostly recovered. It sounds like they've finished uh, reconstruction efforts. Um, uh, uh, Maromi, he's out. He's old news. He disappeared, I guess. Uh, but there's a new cat. There's a new cat in town that everybody loves. Um, Akari is a security guard. Um, uh, Tsukiko has shorter hair. She seems to be like an office worker. Um, Kawazu uh, passes by her, um, rem- rem- remembers her, does not, chooses not to pester her, which we love. Um, but most importantly, uh, Maniwa, um, he has uh, taken the old man's place. His hair is now completely white, um, and he is doing um, the same uh, chalk equation uh, that the man is doing. You know, we watch him get to the final scene or to the, to the end of the equation. Um, He pauses, we cut to his facial expression, he gasps, um, and the show ends.
0: Um, Yeah, and on a note here, and this also happens in the first episode, I didn't bring it up then, um, but there's like some debate about what the gasp is about. um, And I I bring it up mainly because there is the, the kind of cheeky one of... He writes the character for, like, A in Katakana, and then equals, which could also be Ni in Katakana, uh, and then, like, raises up as if he's about to do the slash for, like, Me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it could be writing out anime and him realizing that all of this has just been an anime that they're in. (laughs) (laughs) um so i like that as like a pet theory of what the equation is is realizing that uh all of this is a a story that's being told and being like Mm -hmm. ah (laughs) all of this is fake (laughs) none of this is true what the
3: fuck
1: yeah Um, and i think um if uh, well maybe uh i I think there's probably some stuff we want to talk about first but once we get to like our final thoughts on the ending um that that might be an interesting interpretation. Yeah. Um given the yeah. like some of the focal themes of the of the series.
0: Yeah. Um I, I will say I have a work cited that I decided to bring here. Um I feel like it'll be best to talk about when we get to like the actual ending of okay. the series. So if we want to just like talk about the first three episodes, which I obviously have thematic content that's being developed but are I feel like they're just the most fun episodes of the entire series because at this point you've like gone through, here's all the characters in the story and you've kind of like the, the first big mystery has been revealed about Shonen Bat. Um, And then you just get like these three episodes that are kind of just like having fun with animation. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, episode eight is just a delight. (laughs) Yeah <laughs> for uh, an episode about people trying to kill themselves it's uh just like extremely fu- it's like weirdly heartwarming that, yeah. like in their internet suicide pact they have found friends to like s- to spend their life together with <laughs> I mean what 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 I really find exciting about this
2: back half of this show is um you know and, and rightly so uh episodes 1 through 6 are very focused on you know these individual stories essentially these character studies of these people who Um, could theoretically have their problems resolved by getting slugged. Um, And, and, you know, that's very important in like the micro to sort of understand it. And then like we talked about in the last episode, episode seven is sort of like this turning point where it stops being um, uh, theoretical. There's actual consequences. Somebody actually dies. Um, And then, um, you know, I would say eight. And, uh, you know, there's, there's more important content in episode 11, but I would say eight through 11, it's these ideas of what, Um, on, like, the macro scale um, Slugger is, uh, like, doing to society. Like, I mean, we can, you know, get into it when we talk about the episodes, but, like, um, uh, 9 is a lot about um, how rumors make Slugger grow. Uh, 10 is a lot about how copycats make Slugger grow. And 11 um, is about... um, how just general perception of slugger also makes him grow and all of these things feed into this sort of um, phenomenon. And I, I really love these like individual like macro episodes that like talk about basically like the shock waves of the first six or seven episodes.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. um, I I agree. Like one of the things that we get um, episode eight is like, is the one that, is most difficult for me to like, um, square it, with like some of like the the other stuff.
0: Yeah, um, like in terms of like the overarching plot, episode eight feels the most fillery, but also in a way where it's like just a really fun, e- like it's a good filler episode.
1: Yeah, it's you know <laughs> it's a great
0: episode. Um, yeah,
1: and like you said, it, it's very heartwarming um, and uh, like very subtle. Um, and, and I think like it, it is definitely dealing with all of this, all of these same like key themes that are um throughout the show, but especially like emphasized here on the the back half. um for me, I think one of the other things that that is happening, um over the course of the, you know, the first three, but also like all of these, um, episodes in the second half is this like this engagement with the ideas of like reality and truth um, and the way that um, like both of them, this very complex (laughs) like treatment of these concepts. um, But the way that like both of them are um, related to like narrative Um, and like constructed, um, and then also like socially, uh, determined. Um, and we see that with like in episode nine, like the gossip theme, uh, first of all, as Josh pointed out, um, but then also like the way episode nine plays out, um, the like escalation of, um, the various narratives, uh, so you start out with, like, the, like, oh, it's one degree of separation or whatever. Um, oh, like, a person I know, um, like, like this more plausible, um, like, gossip about, like, oh, yeah, this is a type of in that, like, appearance that we expect from episodes one through seven. And now it's just someone who's been affected by this, like, gossiping about it. Um, but then it, like, as it moves on, um, the narratives become, like, much more stylized um, and then much more, like, generic. Like, obviously generic. Um, Where, like, all of these... You have, like, oh, you know, the romance. um, Then, like, literally, like, interpolating, like, established other stories. um, Like, The Last Leaf, for instance. Um, But, like, oh, tragedy. Like, oh, here's the, like, Grey's Anatomy medical narrative here's the romance here's like the murder thriller thing here's the sports uh narrative Mm. um with like shonen bat um like invading and like overtaking all of these stories um so that was one of the uh like the things that that was interesting to me was the way that um uh, like all of these narratives are uh, one of the refrains in episode nine is like, Oh, the truth is like, blah, blah, blah to introduce the like various stories that come after. Um, and of course this is like when people are like, Oh, well, honestly, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's like, now I don't think you're telling the truth. Cause you had to introduce it with honestly, um, <laughs> like this, this qualifier is actually like, ironic because like, oh, the truth is, like, and then here's this fantastical story that couldn't possibly be true. Yeah. Um, but, like, the concept of truth is at play. Um, and the way that, like, relates to gossip and, like, narrative in uh, the Shonen Bat phenomenon. Um, I don't know if I have, like, I think in order to do, like, a a more comprehensive, like, read of this, we'll um, have to take into account all of the episodes. Uh, but that's just one thing I wanted to, like, point out in these first three episodes.
2: Yeah. I, um, I think what, what really, uh, I absolutely agree, you know, with what you're saying is that like, uh, these, you know, these stories that are told either through rumor or through, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, Maniwa and, uh, and Misai's like experiences, because when, especially when I was watching Misai's episodes, it was difficult for me to tell if it was actually happening or if this was just sort of a perception of hers, but those Mm -hmm. things, um, uh, the whole the whole unifying thing to me for this back half of the show is just, just something that I'm really interested in, which is just the idea of, like, a collective uh, human unconscious, right? So, like, all of mm-hmm. these stories um, live in everybody's heads, and those things just churning and churning gives them power. It makes them change shape, um, and that's... Um, what makes sense to me for how, um, you know, Marumi and uh, slugger end up being two sides of the same coin, right? Two characters that live in the public imagination, um, that, uh, Tsukiko couldn't control even if she wanted to, because she's made this idea and it lives out there in the world. Um, and, and just these illustrations of how like the, the sort of the public unconscious and what people do, um, on the mic on the micro scale with these ideas is, I think what's I don't, just so brilliantly observed about these, this back. Yeah.
1: Um, and and also the way like I, I appreciate you you saying that because um like the only thing i would add is um the way that like these narr- these collective uh these shared narratives like come to constitute like our n- notions like personal and then like collective notions of truth as well mhm and then when you have like um the like shonen bat phenomenon um like overtaking collective consciousness in this like in in this way um it then like one of the ways that it's manifesting and i think part of what episode 9 is doing is like oh this is a social manifestation of of this um like zooming out and being like oh yeah it's just completely taking over like our idea of like what truth is and that's like, this is somehow, um, like dangerous, um, or, uh, or, or maybe not. <laughs> um, but I think probably when we look at the end of the episode, um, like there, there's something that's, um, not so good about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's not
0: doing good at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and episode 10 in, in particular is interesting me, um, In part because it's probably one that feel like it feels like it's really hitting close to home for probably like cone as well as a bunch of other people working on this, which is just like, if you look into both manga and anime anime production, I mean the, the exactly the like hierarchies of that stuff and things are different, but both of those are just full of people who work themselves literally to death, like at their desk. Um, And so I, in particular, like it, 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 I feel like for that, for the people making this, it's probably extremely hitting close to home of like, yes, there is like this, this current push in society to like keep working and to, to keep, uh, pushing yourself to the like deterioration of your own, uh, life and health and everything. Um, which I think is like a thing that's kind of in an, an important part for when we get to the ending, some of the, um, like I'm gonna, I'm going to talk about how there are elements of the ending that I think are like deeply conservative, <laughs> uh, especially from a Japanese perspective. But I think there's a lot of stuff that also tempers it, um, and some of it is like when you look at how hellish a lot of uh, animation production stuff is, um, and just like the the toll that it has on human beings. Um, it is like no, we do still need some form of like taking a rest. Um, which is going to, and some to some degree be at odds with the ending that, like, a thing that we didn't talk about, um, in the stuff from the first episode repeats in the final episode. Um, is you also get all the people on their phones, but now instead yeah. of having excuses, they're like, oh, yeah, I'll get that to you by whatever. Like, everybody's working instead of like making excuses not to work. Um, and so I think there's ways to read the ending as being like, what everyone needs to do is just stop making excuses and get back to work. Just um, cope. Yeah. And I, I just think that like um that the Melo Moromi episode in particular is one of the big ones where you're like Yeah, that can't just be the final take of this series. Uh because like that's not going to solve the problem of animation. <laughs> <laughs> of, like, the yeah. animation industry, especially in Japan, um, which, like, man, uh, Miyazaki is just, like, a, a horrible man for, like, pushing people to destroy their health for his cartoons. <laughs> 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 it's just the reality of being an anime fan is being kind of aware of, like, how many of the people who made works that you liked died in early death because they pushed themselves too hard. Um you know, Cone had pancreatic cancer, um, unclear to what degree any of that was influenced by the work that he was doing as well. Like his, his, um, his eventual death from that cancer. Um, but I mean, watching episode 10 and knowing that Cone died very young also is just like kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: um, I, uh, I, I actually agree. Um, uh, coming into uh, about like, Uh, your thoughts on the ending. Um, Yeah. I know we'll get there eventually. Uh, Coming into this episode, I was really like, uh, I I don't know if I have like uh, a solid final interpretation yet. Um, But one of the things that stood out to me was like the treatment of, um, like, I I think two of the key themes are like, again, truth, this like idea of truth and reality, how it's interrogated or, like, insisted on. Um, but then also the idea of, like, coping and resiliency. Um, and uh, it did feel um, – in a way, I think a lot of the, the ideas in this show are actually quite conservative. Um, But also, like, in the same way, um, I feel that the treatment is is more complicated and more subtle. Um, yeah. I just don't know what, um, I, I,
0: I was hoping that our discussion would, um, would suss that out. Um, well, if you all want, I can, I can do my, my little work cited here. Yeah. Um, just to kind I, of get I, into I, some of the ending. Yeah. Cause I had a completely different read on the ending. So I'd like to get into this. Okay. Um, so I might actually have two readings. I'll do this first one. And then I have some other stuff that I might just read because I think uh, there's a quote that provides better context for me. Um, but so kind of to start out, I, I will just like give this background and then I I can get more into, I think, how this connects with um, Paranoia Agent. But there was this uh, concept that emerged in the early 1940s um, in Japan and within like Japanese thinking of overcoming modernity. Um, and it's a strange concept in that uh, it was very quickly derided. And uh, we can kind of get into some of the reasons why, um, namely that the so it first started solidifying um but also kind of ambiguously and and not in a like super um satisfying way if you're an academic and want to just say overcoming modernity to mean like a broad concept um it was always like too weird for that um but it happened in 1942 specifically July there was this uh symposium um called to discuss overcoming modernity by 3 uh, literary critics. Um, this was Kawakami Satsutarō, uh, uh, Kobayashi Hideo, and Kamai uh, Tatsuichiro. Um, Kamai is the the only one that I've looked into a little bit more, just because I'm going to read um, a thing from uh, something he said at the symposium. Uh, but he was like a romanticist. He he really supported this like return to this romantic idea of the Japanese national. Um, but this symposium had people from all across like political spectrum, different, uh, philosophers and thinkers from, um, you know, different, uh, all different styles of writing and things like that. Um, it, it was like very weirdly centrist and this, like, let's just get a bunch of people to like go into open dialogue. Talk
1: about modernity.
0: Yes. And specifically the idea of overcoming <laughs> I for one modernity. one, <laughs> Yes. Um, and so, uh, part of the reason why quickly like overcoming modernity as a concept becomes something that's kind of derided in in a lot of um academic spaces in japan is since this is happening july 1942 um it is basically at this point where like the the world war ii is starting to turn for the japanese but not in a way where they are like aware that they are going to lose the war a lot of people still think that they are going to win Um, They believe that they're going to win the Pacific war and they have no idea of what's coming with the atom bomb and things like that. Um, That's like not on their radar yet. So obviously even by the time that the book of this gets published two years later in 1944, um, the landscape of like Japan as a nation has changed because of the war um, in a way where uh, some of the very militaristic Things that came out of this over overcoming modernity um, kind of got derided as like, oh, it was these like war hawks, and then it it failed, um, obviously, um, or like amounted to nothing but like uh, suffering for us as a nation. Um, so anyway, that, that's a little bit of background. I'm going to read uh, this thing from Kamae uh, Ichiro, Um, And uh, the, the little title here is Detoxifying Culture, which I referenced earlier. Uh, but I thought this was very interesting in the way that a lot of this stuff, I think, actually parallels to images that we're seeing in Paranoia Agent. Um, so he says, uh, In the name of a battle of ideas... Um, Two cliches are pitted against one another, a hero known as the Japanese spirit and a villain known as Foreign Ideas. Uh, The villain falls and the hero is showered with applause. This is the puppet show fantasy that is being drummed into the psychology of ordinary people, a fable spirit uh, enchanted by a display of bravery, which you could maybe link to the the fake uh, shonen bat falling. Then uh, here, from the day we took over the latest Western culture called modernity, uh, which for Japan was like a fairly recent import from from Western culture, this idea of modernity. Uh, The greatest enemy, it seems to me, has been the lifestyle of a civilization that slowly and deeply violates the mind, spawning all sorts of illusion and chatter, and flitting about in every direction. Uh, The war we are engaged in at this moment is aimed outwardly at the destruction of the British and American forces. Internally, it is... Uh, a kind of basic therapy uh, armed at curing the psychological malaise brought about by modern culture. These are the two aspects of the Holy War. In the absence of either, uh, the war effort should be hamstrung. To win the battle against the poisoning of culture is something that is not entirely or is not possible even in the short span of a century. Fortunately, we are uh, emerging as military victors in East Asia. That would not prove true in the long run. Um, But it is not dangerous to suppose that this this immediately spells victory against the poisoning of the culture we hope to rescue. This is the sort of delusion I wish to steel myself against. Against the background of the present war, another war is taking place. We see it in the pressure of a civilization moving relentlessly ahead in an apparent... Uh, natural force of persuasion. We see it in our trust in the machine and all the maladies and debilities of the spirit brought in its wake, and we see in it the um, self destructive behavior of people who have lost all sense of moderation. It is not certain whether we will perish in this fight or be saved, but at least as we count our visible victories in the war, let us not deceive ourselves into thinking that this deeper. War, hidden to the eyes, is a mere fantasy. The illusion of peace that victors often carry uh, around with them glosses over this abyssal war. Behind the mask of peace, the poison of civilization spreads. More frightening than war is peace. The present disturbance of a war in the name of that abyssal war. In that battlefield, the rise and fall of the Japanese people will depend on the clarity of their insight to drive away all delusions and on the uh, irid- ira- uh, iridescible fearlessness of their belief. Uh, rather a war of kings than the peace of slaves. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff that you can like start immediately connecting to Paranoia Agent here around like a holy war that is about like uh, beating aside the illusion of peace to show the, the mask of peace is like covering up this war that is happening underneath with the people that is brought about by the uh, toxicity of modernity into the and life the- of the Japanese people.
1: The piece being, like, the escapist piece. Yes. Represented
0: by, like, Shonen bat. Yes. Um, a little extra thing I'm going to do here just to, like, further uh, clarify later thoughts on overcoming modernity. This has, like, remained a, a concept in Japanese philosophy that is, like, dealt with. Um, but this is from um, a... Uh, thing by Odegira Hideo, who was, um, or Odegiri Hideo, who was uh, writing uh, about a decade later. The overcoming. Uh, modernity debate that took place during the pacific war constituted one flank of the ideological warfare that was an organic part of the total war of militarists this ideological campaign sought to bring about the destruction of modern democratic thought as well as any demands for life's daily necessities in contrast to the ideological warfare declared at that time by the more violent militarists and echoed by a considerable number of the literati this debate sponsored uh, by literary world which is a magazine seemed to be more intellectually polished, but essentially it followed the same path, thus making its influence all the more complex. The debate expanded the critique of capitalist society set forth by the Japanese romantics, its critique of uh, bureaucratism and civilization and enlightenment, in quotes. Uh, It also attacked from various angles the distorted developments and attendant weaknesses of modern Japanese society and its daily life, civilization, and art. As a result, this ideological campaign consisted in the defense of a theori- uh, theorization of a militaristic tenno state and the submission to its war system. Um, that's just like providing more context on on um, the so, the like ultimate view of this symposium. So, um, so, so
2: essentially, this is just like a framework for far right Japanese nationalist thought.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and I I think some of that some of this stuff is being reflected here, um, and in a way that is. Uh, I think sneaky, too, because you get the framing of this nostalgia that Ikari has as an illusion that also needs to be shattered. But it is still, like, ultimately tying into, I think, these ideas around, like, having to break from modernity and, like, the distractions of um, this, like, new culture. Uh, I, I think it's really key from, like, especially this conservative read of what's happening uh, or this read of, like, what's happening in uh Paranoia Agent as being fairly conservative, that the first person that we see to, like, truly defy Shonen Bat is Misai, who is doing this, like, pitch-perfect representation of, like, the Japanese mother, even in the absence of a child to pass on, like, her wisdom to. Which, within Japanese, like, the Japanese mother is often the one who, like, will look to the father and... um you know, over kids and s- see both like his strengths and weaknesses. And then from that pass on the like proper patriarchal masculinity to the son of how to like embrace the strengths of your father and how to like compensate for his weaknesses so that you can take care of me in my old age. Um, this like recurs throughout um, Japanese uh, tropes of like the family in this way where the, the Oedipal, complex is often around the weak-willed son, um, who's, like, going to fail to provide the mother with, like, some sort of, um, ability to, like, make up for her disappointment in her husband. Um, and this is also around, like, traditional, uh, arranged marriage kind of stuff, where there's very little say on the woman's part in terms of the man that she's going to be married to. Uh, And so she just kind of has to face whatever disappointment she has and then deal with it through her children, namely the, the men, because those are the ones who will be able to take care of her, whereas the women will go off and be married. And so then what also develops is you have the trope of the women who are kind of, um, abandoned by the system. And those young daughters are the ones who are like often going to be the most, uh, critical of the family because what do they have to lose? um, So all of this is like, I I think there's stuff happening in Paranoid Agent that is trying to push back on this. But there is also still this like return to traditional Japanese values represented by uh, Misai um, and contrasted against like uh, Ikari's pure escapism into nostalgia. But Mm -hmm. I think there's like a there's a project that seems to be happening around this ending within paranoia agent of like pulling out like the true Japanese character as represented by Misai and separating it out from like the nostalgia about the past, uh, about the past. And then tying this into this like kind of Japanese right nationalist, um, idea of like how to un- overcome modernity. Um, I think part of the, the ways that this like series pushes back on that a little bit is the fact that, um, despite how th- how everything seems better after the two-year skip you also it's see obviously, all obviously the, cyclical yeah it, it is like framed specifically as cyclical as the the final thing you get the old man basically being like but now it's um maniwa instead of the old man being like basically go to the beginning and watch it again that's like that's the next episode is go watch episode one um and frankly, they yeah. got me. I'm back. Yes. yes. Um, and so I think there's a certain recognition there of like, this This is not actually a solution that's going to solve this. It's just going to repeat. It will only alleviate the tensions, um, which then could like tie into the whole theory I have about like Ninkyo Ega Yakuza films, that they are just like a release valve for revolutionary ideas. <laughs> um. You watch a movie about how Yakuza kills his shitty boss and you're like It would be nice to kill my shitty boss but I'm Not a criminal so uh, and then you go back To work for your shitty boss um, But yeah this is my like Watching it this time in particular uh, Having read a lot more of um, Like theory From you know the last Century of, of Japan um, I was like wow there's some really Conservative stuff running through here <laughs>
1: Um, um, Josh, I'll let you. I, I I want you to respond first because you mentioned earlier that you have a um, a different idea.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's a testament to. Um how interesting the series is because like you know nothing that neve said i'm like "Mm, is that what's happening you know like i'm like yeah that's all there um but (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) well and and so i think it's um one of those kinds of things where um what naturally interests like an individual is what you're going to perhaps get out of it or perhaps more strongly get out of it because i totally hear what she's saying it makes absolute sense to me and i can't argue with that yeah neve you Um, fascist (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, i is a fascist Advocator and that's what no. we do here <laughs>
0: So whatever, well, that's what saying. she sees in it Yes, because that's what a, she likes <laughs> I do have a deep interest in um, Like Concepts of national uh, Of nationality that exist in countries That have been colonized And so like, how do you have Like, the US shouldn't be Having fucking arming bases in our country and then have some sort of like nationalist push against that, without then falling into like fascism. You should watch the.
1: You should watch. This is also something
0: with Iceland. You should watch the Godzilla well. movie. Yeah, the uh, Shin Godzilla, the Ono one, the, of, the, Ana yeah, watch, the yeah. honor of Godzilla movie. <laughs> yeah, um, just, um, I still haven't watched
2: that, but I should. It's on my it's, media server. If you want to watch it.
1: Yeah, it's like very, very, very much about that exactly. Yeah, um, in a way that's like. incredibly complicated. Uh, But anyway, sorry, Um, Josh.
2: No, that's okay. Yeah, no, but yeah, I I mean, I think that's great that there's so many, like, equally valid things to pull out of it. Um, I sort of already said what, like, the big overarching idea is for me, and I think it is um, about this idea of the collective human unconscious. But more importantly, I think this is a show that's about... um, this sounds reductive, just bear with me, but it's about ideas and the power of an idea. And when you have the idea, what happens to that idea um, when it sort of goes out into the world? Um, I think this is a story um, that is sort of about all of these simmering. And I I mean, I I do think, you know, this this is an extremely Japanese show, but I think in in this part of it, I think it's um, universal. This idea of um, sort of like the, the, the simmering undercurrent of uh, a vibe for lack of a better term of any society. Um, and the idea is both good in the term, you know, in terms of Maromi for the first 12 episodes, uh, and bad in the terms of slugger, um, that these are, uh, you know, equal ideas made up by this, um, by this girl who's going through a tough time in her life and both of them have a vice grip on reality. Um, I think that um, idea comes up again and again with each of, like, the main characters in the first six episodes who have, like, their crises. Um, we, I, I th- think I mentioned this, but um, I, I see that pr- primarily as, um, and, you know, in the text as well, as, like, these characters who are struggling against this um, unconscious idea of what they are versus uh, what they actually are. Um, with a, so what societal pressures um, unconsciously are put upon them versus how they feel, what's expected of them. Um, and so, you know, what interests me the most, especially at the end is, just this idea of, um, for lack of a better term, just the power of an idea. I mean, like it, I, I think there's a strong, very clear advisement against, um, you know, American pop culture now, which is, uh, Ikari, um, returning to nostalgia. It's a strong advisement against, um, uh, returning to ideas, um, I don't know from a hundred years ago that didn't work, um, which maybe ties into a little bit of what neva's is saying. Like these ideas of um, uh, bygone things that failed aren't going to work again just because they're familiar. Um, and I think that's what really um, elevates this to like pure uh, 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 brain massaging to me. Is that it, it feels like um, a piece of work that's really digging into that idea that um, everything. You know, not to be new agey about it, but everything um, is shared on a level because you know we are all the same species. We are all communicating these you know same ideas. We have very similar thoughts and fears and whatever. And all of these things have ripple effects and ramifications, um, both good and bad. And that's you know that's what I think is so amazing about this about this series. And that's what I that's what I feel like the ending really says to me is that like. Um, this uh extreme pressure release has happened Tokyo has been d- annihilated and then um, that you know these same ideas this new cat character there will be a new Sukiko there will be a new um, uh, 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 Maniwa. you know he's become the old man this the cyclical nature is just the way that um, the human psyche operates because you know we are the same as we were a hundred years ago a thousand years ago ten thousand years ago Um and so, yeah, you know, that's really the poetry that the show speaks to me. I'm sorry, that was very long.
1: No, no, mm. that's, that's <laughs> not Ghost as long Tigers. as mine. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting to um, like have both of these, because um, from my perspective, I, I think both things are at play. Um, like the stuff that me framed up, and then also the stuff that you framed up there. Um, I definitely think like the idea of um, like the emergence of concepts and ideas um, from like the social collective um, is like an important part of what's happening here. Um, And then the way that those ideas like are generated and then like act on um like the social consciousness yeah yeah and then like influence the social consciousness um and one of the things that stands out to me is like the origin of like marumi when we finally find out um about like the real marumi's death um i think neve pointed this out in the synopses but there's like a kind of um social or, like, psychosexual, like, dimension um, to this, where, like, you have the um, Sukiko dropping the leash because, like, potentially her menstrual cramps. um yeah. Her being, like, afraid of her father. Um, mm-hmm. The father, like, being really, like, over, overly strict or whatever, uh, not having a mother present. Um, yeah. And then all of this, like... Followed by like this first encounter with death, um, which is like extremely um. We like someone could do a Freudian analysis of this, but we're not going to. I'm not going to. Um, yeah, <laughs> but like suffice it to say, like there are um. These like psychosexual, like psychosocial elements are are st- clearly um very at play here in this very significant moment of like the generation of Muromi and the Shonen, the Shonen bat myth.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, and and there's also like to just to further put a, a dot on that. Uh, there's also this like pairing or mirroring happening with the daughterless mother and the motherless daughter. Um, the, the like mother who has like nothing to, to pass her wisdom down to, Mm -hmm. Um, and then the daughter who has no mother to teach her about like menstruation, um, and things like that.
1: Yeah. Um, And so like all of these things together, like producing this situation where this one girl, um, like this one thing happens to this one girl. Um, and then this idea arises from like this one specific manifestation, but really it's like, um, a representation of like larger social um like phenomena of like is this like um the place of women in japan like is this like f- something to do with like fractured families um or like um you know fathers and daughters uh, mothers and daughters um but like leading to um like, some sort of, like, um, potentially dysfunction or, like, some sort of tension here, um, leading to, like, Tsukiko's inability to accept, um, like, death, uh, or, like, this, like, denialism and delusion, um, that then, like, this, like, idea, um, that then, once it's generated, um, like, 10 years later or whatever, um, like, has this incredible power um, because of, like, I think presumably, um, like, a shared... uh, I I won't use this word as my final reading, but I think, like, I'm going to put it out there um, because I think this is part of what the show's framing, like, this shared neurosis um, of, like, modern society that somehow, like, Sukiko's so experience, the idea that's generated from that, um, it has so much um, like power, um, and then it, it just takes over. Like the the final episodes, Marumi like one of the things that happens is that like Marumi merchandise is just everywhere. Like it's almost like surreal in a crisis in its own way um, yeah. that Marumi has taken on like. Just like Shonen that has, Maromi has taken on like this completely like overwhelm this um omnipresence and this like complete domination of like social the social uh collective and like consciousness. Um So there's like this preoccupation that is like um almost like, you know, um the neurosis is like or these uh social problems are giving rise to this like this idea that's this pressure release. Um, and then in turn it like is adopted. So there's like this cyclical aspect of thought, um, that is definitely like a big part of, um, of the show. Um, but, uh, Nev, I know I, I can tell you want to
0: say something, so I'm going to, I'm going to stop. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I think there's also a, uh, like <clears throat> there's a lot of discussion about like, um, Muromi and Shonen bat being the same, either in like a figurative sense or just a literal sense. Um, and you kind of get this, um, when, when like Shonen bat is like fully spreading, right. Uh, you get like the black goo everywhere. Um, there's then the moment where, uh, Tsukiko like fully retreats into the, the dream world with, uh, Ikari and then all the Maromi like vanishes. Um, and that seems to like intensify or, or make things even worse, um, to like not have the, that even if they are the same being, there's like a, uh, two sides or like a, a balancing that is, is happening, but is, uh, continuing to escalate. Um, and I, I think some of it, Is this dual side between like Moromi kind of representing this like, oh, you've worked so hard, you should take a rest. Like, please don't kill yourself making cartoons. I love your cartoons, but please don't kill yourself making them. Um, And then Shonen Bat being this like that taken to this destructive or or both self-destructive and then like outwardly destructive form of like... Well, I'm just going to like shunt off all responsibilities cuz I need a rest. I need a break from this. I'm just going to like push everything aside. Or this like um,
1: self-destructive.
0: Yes, alternatively. Um, yeah. Yes. Um so you yeah, you either kind of get the like you do the excuse so that you don't have to do the work or you you like uh go into this self-destructive mode. Um and so I think there's, like, a, a certain amount that's still being done of, like, like if I am to temper my, this is doing something very conservative read, um, it is, there's, like, one version of it that is, uh, the series is trying to say we have to, like, excise these values of overcoming modernity away from the nostalgia we might have about like the war period or whatever. Um, We have to like find the the new ways to define like a a Japanese society. And that's a thing that I think can be a double-edged sword if you're, if you're trying to pull that out, because some of it might be, let us actually like take from national identity, like the, these ideas of nationalism, let us like find something that can be actually useful for producing like a healthy society that is, um, not going to like veer into fascism Um, or it can be, well, how do we figure out how to make fascism appeal to like modern youth who don't have any (laughs) nostalgia for uh, like a matchbox that has a certain design on it. Like, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And like, I think that's the, the ultimate thing that like when I consider that this read that I have on the series Um, is that it is trying to like separate out parts of, of that idea and, and dig into it. Um, but I, I think to some degree it, it, like one of the strengths of the series is that it is aware of the fact that it doesn't really come to a final conclusion. It doesn't come to, and here's what we have to do to fix society. Um, it comes to, maybe there's some good stuff that we can pull out of this that will keep society running a little bit longer, but at what cost? (laughs) um is it just going to repeat are things going to get worse who knows um yeah for me like
1: i guess my read of the ending is like i kind of think of it in with like three major parts which is like the first one is that uh we have this insistence on like uh accepting reality and like coping which um, I think besides like, as you pointed out, is the uh, the main person associated with this idea. And then Ikari as well, or Detective Ikari. Um, but she's really, like, um, where it's, like, articulated most fully. Um, and then where, like, she has a confrontation with Shonen Bat and, and like, figures out that this is, like, sh- the weakness that's going to defeat Shonen Bat. Um, and I think in a way like that is affirmed, um, where it's like, oh yeah, Tsukiko has to like accept, um, she has to like accept that her dog died. She has to accept this like event that happened, um, and like forego this escapism and like this, um. Like, saw this uh, victimhood and, like, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then when she does that, like, we see the, the goo goes away and, like, Shonen Bat disappears in, like, you know, happy ending. Yeah. That, um, like, this is the challenge. Like, no, no, no. Like, we can't succumb to this escapism um, and, like, fantasy. We have to just, like, accept reality for what it is like capital R reality, and then like learn to cope with it. Um, Yeah. Which is this like, in a way, um, for me, this is like the central piece of the conservatism. um, Yes. Of the show.
0: Especially when you think about how that message becomes true by essentially the passing down of that from Misai to Tsukiko. Which yeah. is like a restoring of the family co- connection of the mother to the daughter, um, in this like fantasy space where like Misai is kind of able to help, um, pass down to Tsukiko this idea of like, don't just escape into fantasy, don't go to escapism. Like, you have to confront the reality and take responsibility. Um, and I, and it, the, the scene where like, um, Tsukiko, goes and like hugs and apologizes and says, sorry to the dead dog is like deeply touching. Um, So yeah, that I'm not saying it's entirely a bad message, uh, but yeah, there's also like a certain route as you're saying in conservatism with the, a lot of the way that it's constructed, especially.
1: But so the other thing, so yes, but the other thing I would add is like, there's, there's kind of a couple other pieces to this for me, which is, at the same time that it does this, like the show is so heavily like, um, like deconstructing and challenging, like all of the like concepts of like traditionalism. Um, I think our discussion last, last time, um, touched on like a lot of this, like brought out a lot of this critique, um, how like a lot of the, I think, so much of the repression that the show is like envisioning and seeming to posit as like a source of this neurosis, is like related to this like traditionalism, um, and the way that it like um, confines people and overdetermines people's lives, um, and specifically, I think like this like Japanese traditionalism, the way that like the people in this society at this time like um have to deal with the like um the repressive like legacy of this or the persistence of it um and this culminates in like ikari's fantasy um which is like the final thing that needs to be shattered um where he retreats into like you know this idealized like you know um wartime, like, conservative um, fantasy um, where everything is, like, uncomplicated and um, so much of, like, the presentation of this fantasy is just, like, um, a, like, uh, deconstruction of, like, uh, traditionalism, like, the nostalgia that it um, is, like, based on um and then also like just it, it's its own unreality um and so i think like that's one of the things that complicates it for me is like um this is also part of the show um yeah. and then the last piece is the way that like we get this cyclical ending um where it's like okay yes like the solution was that sukiko just like you know, has to like confront reality and like cope with this trauma. Um, And then like the immediate crisis is lifted. Um, But then at the end of the show, it's like, okay. Yeah. Like everyone's just doing the same fucking shit. (laughs) Like for the most part, like we're all in the same exact position. Um, Like literally like we have um, either, uh, well, let me qualify this for the most part. I think there are subtle changes um, that we could look at, but like so much of the ending to me was like, oh yeah, like there are these rules that people are just like filling and continue to f- continuing to like fill. Um, like Marumi has been re- replaced with like, oh yeah, it's the same thing, but just the cat. Um, and like, I, I like the cat better by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Um, <laughs> And then, like, oh, Ikari is still, like, a security guard. Um, Kawazu's still a reporter. Um, like, and then the old man, uh, well, we, we still need an old man. Like, someone needs to fill this role. So now it's just Maniwa, who's, like, the old man. Um, and then, like, the implication being, yeah, just start back at episode one. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, this is still, like, none of the, like, fundamental problems of, that like gave rise to this seem to have been um, resolved. And then it's like, we get this he- heavy hinting of like, oh yeah, like this is going to happen again. Um, yeah. So like that, and it, that solution that seems to be posited of like, oh yeah, just cope. I was like, okay, yeah, it's fine. Like you can just cope. Um, But like, it, even if you just like, if you tell people, okay, just cope. Yeah. You can cope for a little while. But like, if you have these like fundamental, um, like stressors and this fundamental tension, um, that is like determining your life, then like, coping is still um, that solution in and of itself is like part of this vicious cycle.
2: Yeah, right. yeah, because people are still people and society is still society, even after the, 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 the mass slimy, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. your society
1: is like still, it's still fucked up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Getting, uh, getting back to work uh, does not, in fact, uh, fix the problem of your job is killing you slowly. <laughs> um, yeah, well,
2: I, I mean, um, you know, not to, I guess... Um, because again, I think all these are working at the same time. Um, but like, I mean, uh, you, you you both talked a lot about the, um, you know, the show advising against uh, not facing reality. You have to face reality. You have to. Um, uh, you cannot just do do escapism. Um, I mean, just to talk a little bit about. Um, this show being in a sort of a study in ideas and an expression, you know, which I'm sure uh, you know, Cohen struggled with as a man who um, enjoys surreal and uh, you know uh, abstract imagery. I'm sure he got this all the time, um, having to explain what he's doing. Um, but I, I think this idea about not fleeing from reality sort of cuts both ways, which I think applies to, applies to the duality of Maromi and Slugger, um, because you know this um, uh, focus on uh, the opposite of escapism, right? The, you know, perhaps the titular paranoia of the agent uh, results in this idea of Slugger as like a mind virus, essentially. Um, so, I mean, this... Uh, to, to me, it seems that this is a show about... Um, Yes, you cannot live in in your nostalgic, um, you know, w- w- you know, perhaps <laughs> uh, w- weirdly, a uh, nationalist uh, uh, fantasies, <laughs> right? But like, uh, but to but this idea of like society as a, um, inherently uh, cursed and evil place to me it seems like the show is is saying this is also wrong. This is also highly antisocial. Um, this results in um, the slugger phenomenon. The um, empowering of the slugger phenomenon, the copycats of the slugger phenomenon this whole thing, empowering like the worst parts of people. I mean and I think that's really at the heart of what the uh, perhaps in a more poetic sense they're trying to get at at the end, really equating um Maromi and, and slugger to the point where, you know, when the goo is rushing through Tokyo, it's it's black striped with pink after it destroys Maromi, right? Like yeah. these 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 ideas um are in a sense these concepts of Slugger and Marumi, um, before they were assigned meeting or value neutral, just like many, many concepts. I'm just like, um, you know some ideas are obviously evil but like you know there are um so many things that are like smoothie um, bowls <laughs> <laughs> so, so 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 many things um can uh be good and and both bad at the same time like slugger is relieving problems and maromi is um uh, sucking you into a uh a, a, a hell dimension you know right so like all of these things are um uh, you know sort of uh, what what you make of them um and I, and you know, that's, that just, uh, feeds right into the sick. I think I said this already. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but like, it it really feeds into the ending to me where like this happened. Um, and like, yes, this one happened to result in a sliming of Tokyo, but like this, uh, this exact same concept of ideas, gaining power through perception happens on a smaller scale every single day to every single person. Um, and that's society in in you know, in all of it's good and it's bad. And I guess, Yeah
0: yeah well and like i kind of hinted at this um previously but especially as we've been talking i think i i've landed more firmly on like um because at first watching this i was struck this time in particular with like the with the stuff i'm talking about with overcoming modernity how um like Intensely some of that stuff is being brought in at the end in a way where some of it feels intentional to like there feels like there's an intentional callback to World War II in the destruction of Tokyo. Um, and in the way that this like idea of overcoming modernity that existed seems to be recurring again throughout the the final episodes. Um but I think the the conclusion I've come to through this discussion is the ending that points to, to going back to the beginning is really the key here because it, be, it makes this ending less a it, it is uh, the final thing that's telling you, like, don't read this ending as the happy ending that it appears on the surface. The, the appearance of a happy ending that is occurring when you see the restored Tokyo is the like uh, putting the mask back on basically yeah um that this cycle is going to recur and that this is not a show about how do you fix society this is a show about uh observing and commenting on a cycle of like japanese fascistic nationalism and self-destruction that is occurring in japan um and probably at most being this warning of like as we try to grapple with the very real problems of like a modern society and the, um, the disillusionment that exists in like many people in modern society, the commercialism, the the commercialism, the, uh, like materialism, not in the Marxist sense, but in the, just like caring very much the, the commodities in the reverse sense. Um, yeah. (laughs) Um, A word that means
2: two things. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um and the the um you know the this like drive to work hard and everything that exists. Um as we are trying to to deal with that like we have to be aware of this kind of reactionary overcoming modernity um approach to trying to fix things because it may it may temporarily fix things, but it is not actually going to get at the core root of the problem, um, which is like the the way that these people are uh, being suppressed and oppressed. And um, you know, it, what I'm saying is that uh, in showing the cycle of the the fascistic state of Japan, perhaps this this show is subtly saying what we need is communism. <laughs> yeah i was
1: thinking that without showing there there is like this strain of thought in communism where it's like um yeah like okay cope with reality right like um if people are depressed like it's not necessarily like the worst thing in the world because that means that they're like perceiving that something is wrong and in order to like take action and like try to correct <laughs> what's wrong. Um, you have to like perceive that something's wrong. Um, whereas if everyone is just like content, but like the way your society is structured is like unjust or like, you know, um, exploitative or whatever, um, then the chances of that being addressed are, you know, none. Um, if content, if you're able to generate contentment, um, and uh, like you could go in the, that direction here, for sure, where it's like this seeming like,, um, this p- potentially like seemingly conservative talking point of like, oh, well, except this realism, um, may in fact be like, I-, I think we could debate about like, Okay, is the show just like holding this at arm's length too? Because the show is so like aggressive and it like critiquing and deconstructing the idea of reality itself, um, to then turn around and insist on it um, as like this solution. Um, but if we if we like accept that there is some sort of um, power in like the acceptance of reality, capital R um then we can go in this direction of like yeah the the like the thing that's missed here is that there's no change like yeah people like forego escapism um but then they just like return to doing what they were doing before instead of being like okay yeah why did I want to escape <laughs> uh what yeah. what is like these what are these like tensions that were uh like, Driving me to this self destruction, and maybe we should, like, you know, consider them and, and try to address them. Um, but like that part is left out, and there, and then it becomes this cycle, um, of like you know, this continuing cycle of self destruction or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um, well, unless other people have other thoughts on the ending, do we just want to talk about some stuff we liked in other episodes? Totally. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the the animation team episode, which um <laughs> it it is also just delightful for how much it is like uh aping like documentaries you will see about the production of a of a um anime where they will like Muromi comes in on a freeze frame and is like, here's this person, they do like, you know, uh, the background art let me explain how that happens in the process um it got that was too real
2: my eyes <laughs> <yeah>. glazed over
0: <laughs> yeah you've done background art for being <laughs> puppy cat
2: um uh yeah no I, I i love that episode i think it's fantastic um I mean, uh, you know, in, in the States, fortunately, many of us have um, a, a union that prevents uh, the sort of cruel overwork that a lot of our counterparts in Japan have to have to deal with, uh, such as driving an episode to the studio to air in half an hour, um, which is, which is <laughs> you know, I I can't imagine. Um, with a delinquent you know, s- trying to hit you with a bat. <laughs> well, yeah. you, well, Whomst among us hasn't been there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, but, uh, uh, so, you know, so much of it is just so, um, uh, like oh God, like, uh, the, the one that really made my blood pressure spike was when, um, the art director just found out, uh, from SARS, uh, that like the deadlines tomorrow, uh, and due to his miscommunication, she had no idea when the deadline was changing. Um, and then she has like a, a
1: desk that's stacked like five feet high all over yeah. with like, work to do yeah that's real that's that's
0: the (laughs) life (laughs) um well and also like unions are great and uh, definitely help out but like i have a friend who did um animation work and discovered that they were ambidextrous because they fucked up their right hand so badly like drawing for for animation work Mm -hmm. um, that they had to start drawing with their left hand and realize that they could train themselves how to draw with their left hand and that's how they they realized that they're ambidextrous which i'm also ambidextrous and it really is just a thing of like people think that that means you can just do anything with either hand and it's like no you do have to do the practice with both hands (laughs) um yeah Um, which means i I cannot write with my left hand i'm not i only
1: i only write and eat with my left hand i do nothing else with my left hand Everything else is. Um, th- this is real. This is not just a yeah.
2: That's fascinating. I actually play sports left-handed, so yeah. See, I mean, that's I'm, something I'm right-handed. I do with my left hand.
1: Uh, sports and then like everything else. It's it's weird.
2: Um, no, uh, but yeah, Neve, what you're saying. I mean, that absolutely happened um, a year ago. I injured both of my wrists due to overwork. Uh, <laughs> my my job involves a lot of drawing. Um, you know, 11 minutes of animation uh, is a lot of work for the time frame that we're given. So even though there are less, um, you know, this overt thing of like, you know, sleeping at your desk and, you know, getting, you know, brutalized by, by work, you know, we still have a very serious um, problem where duties are being shunted. Uh, So some people's jobs disappear and those other duties um, combine with um, another job. So then that job now has three times the duties and, you know, one third of the people doing them. Um, so you know we definitely have our own problems that uh, that uh, this this uh, was too all to altogether too real in bringing up.
0: Yeah, <laughs> one of the one of the moments is just like the the cruelest little detail in this episode is when the the guy from the um what's the what's the letters for the like company that has the mascots? It's like M and H or something. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, but he he comes by and is like, "I heard that like you all work really long hours and sometimes <laughs> sleep in the office. So I went to the factory. They just finished making these maromi pillows um, here. Like I've got one for all of you. Isn't this so great? You want to be you even more surrounded so you can by sleep your work? Here. Yeah. 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 Oh, our uh, by the way, our,
2: our gay king who looks uh, too similar to me <laughs> yes. for comfort uh, <laughs> didn't care <Yes>. for that. <laughs> Except um, no
0: glasses, and I'm not as muscular. It, but it made me extra laugh that, like, the one piece of Muromi merch that you can currently get is a pillow. A Muromi yeah. pillow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for when you're sleeping at the office. m h uh, had some extras. I should have gotten uh, a Murumi pillow when we worked at the law firm, Connor. Just oh, to- my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that would have really brought out the, like, uh, the dystopian uh, undertone to the-,
2: yeah. <laughs> to the law firm. <laughs> The, the the one moment that um in that episode that made me feel like that, <laughs> uh, leave Saruto alone uh, was when he kicked over the um episodic director's plug which is inexplicably in the middle of the room <laughs> from his pc I, I was like i was like that's not fair that that you monkey gotta, guy was going to trip over it they came like runner. a n-
0: yeah, like a cable runner and like a NEMA tie down technique or something. Like th- <laughs> anything but what you've done here. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm speaking as someone who works in industrial supply now, but there are things on like extremely dangerous construction sets, uh sites that are like the ways that you plug in things so that they won't come un connect- <laughs> uh, unplugged. Yeah, we um, have technology for this. Yes. <laughs> right.
1: Um the uh the thing that I liked about um Episode 10 is like um, – I thought it was a really uh, clever way of like um, – like I, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, the way the show is like engaging with um, – the critically engaging with the idea of reality. Um, and in the first like half, um, episodes one through seven, we had that, um, you know, Maromi like coming alive um, – kawazu's like impressions where he uh his face his head shape and his face like changes um so you had these like interjections of like um like surreality into the frame um that so like kind of destabilizing this um the realism of the show itself uh but then in episode 10 you just have like the final like the full deconstruction um hmm Where it's like, um, you know, we begin with, like, within the frame of Mellow Um Yeah,
0: and within it, in development, in a way where, um, definitely the first time I saw Paranoia Agent having previously seen Evangelion, I was like, oh, did they just, like, did they either run out of budget or are they intentionally <laughs> referencing the last two episodes of Ava here? <laughs> um, and then it's just revealed, you know, the, yeah. the like it's in production, but, um,
1: yeah. So you start out with like, you know, the full, like, okay, we're just, this is just a different show. Um, and then like, it steps back and you see like, um, you know, the, the pre-work of like the animation, um, like, which obviously, um, like destabilizes that frame. Um, and then it's revealed like, oh, okay, no, no, no. Like, we're in Paranoia Agent still. Um, this is still, like, the real world is Paranoia Agent. And, like, these are just people in Paranoia Agent who are making an anime. Um, but then, like, par- the Paranoia Agent frame is, like, destabilized. Because, like, Maromi is, like, you have the narration from Maromi that's, like, overlaid on the Paranoia Agent frame. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, which then cast like that, uh, the paranoia agent frame, which is the familiar one that we're, um, you know, like I, that we've accepted as <laughs> like the real frame, um, is right. now cast into this subordinate position. And this way that's like cyclical, um, where like, um, you know, there's no beginning or ending like paranoia agents, part of the Maromi show. And M- the Maromi show is part of like paranoia agent um and then with like the implication um obviously because of like the subject matter um then like the the strong implication of like breaking the fourth wall um where it's like yeah. oh but like the anime paranoid agent that you're watching right now is made by like you know animators under these conditions um so like I mean, hopefully over not into being like,
0: murdered but <laughs>
1: Yeah, right. Right. Um, yeah. but, like bleeding over into like the our like real frame um yeah. of like the um like production of the show. Um which like also um becomes part of this like cyclical uh thing. Um so in addition uh in addition to like the other thing that this episode does, which is just showing the brutality of um, animation production and the uh, poignancy of that. Um, It's interesting how it balances like the metafictional play with reality um, with this all like this actually like poignant um, critique uh, of like the industry.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think, um, I mean, I guess this is perhaps more interesting if you um, subscribe to my particular brand of um, interpretation of this movie, but like, so much of this show is about um, negotiating reality, right? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, like, like, like Maniwa and um, their suspect are legitimate in episode five. They're just literally negotiating what is real and what isn't Um, there. There's this recurring theme of uh, ideas being thought viruses from slugger to uh, Maniwa's like separation from agreed upon reality, you know, in, in, in the show Um, there's this uh, Akari and Tsukiko going to like, Japanese nice time world, right? So, uh, you know, it's it's this, it's this idea that, like, um, characters are actively negotiating what is real and what isn't, what is, like you were saying, Connor, what is true and what isn't, what um, exists and what doesn't. And I think there's no more, like, literal sort of sense of that than animation. You know, in, in live-action filmmaking, um, you know, of course, you're constructing from whole cloth scenarios and, and characters, but, like, there are still real people that exist in facsimiles of... Uh, Of of locations or sets or whatever but in animation you and the team that you're working with are are just like the characters in the show negotiating what is real what exists how it exists and and all of that and so you know if you really want to let your brain bloom in the josh mindset uh (laughs) this this is uh the same sort of uh negotiation that is recurring throughout the show which is just show-stoppingly brilliant to me yeah
0: well, and for, for what both of you are saying, it's also, like, I think key that this episode f- follows episode nine, where you're getting all of these different stories that are um, mimicking different animation styles and things like that to, mm. like, point towards genre, where um, me remembering this, like, the plot of this episode, there was a brief moment when I started it up, and it was uh, just showing you the mellow Moromi stuff, where I was like, Wait, is there, like, a another episode that I forgot about that is, like, <laughs> just, like, this weird... Like, it's doing another genre thing, right? Yeah. Um, like, you almost just feel like it is this continuation of the, like, various gossip stories doing genre parody. It then reveals that this is being made within the world of Paranoia Agent. But at that point, it is, like, so thoroughly reminded you of the fact, both with the previous episode and now the beginning of this one that what you are watching is animation that like they are asserting reality but in a way that is like fully made you aware that all of this is animated and that they Mm -hmm. can like confuse you purely because this is all animation um we have lem wanting to get in and out of the the closet in which i record now oh that, Um, that hasn't
1: happened for a while i feel like yeah
0: um happening. Dra- d- drawn by the big brains vibrating in, yeah. in unison. <laughs> um, but and I this is like well, I kind of like brains. the I kind of like the um the read of the equation, how it could be um anime that he's writing. Um and this like part of the the awareness of because the old man is like so far gone into seemingly understanding what's going on in this way where like throughout the equation we'll often like have things that are pointing towards the animals that relate to the characters and stuff. Um, I didn't like break down all of the times that you see the equations and the stuff that you see in there, but there's a lot of stuff that's pointing towards like key characters throughout the whole series. Um, and uh, an interesting part here too, is that like, this whole case cannot be solved without having, uh, Maniwa, the one who is like fully willing to just like dive into the deep end of the fantasy world and Mm -hmm. like take that on in order to like start trying to solve what's going on. Um, and then he's the one who becomes aware of something and, and is shocked by it, which again could be a certain awareness hinted by like the, the, uh, you know, next time on thing being like, this is a cycle go back. Um, but also hinted at like this awareness of like, wait a minute, what we are doing right now is like, uh, is a story. And we're talking about like escapist media and story. And literally we are just all existing within that. All of this is that (laughs) like, we (laughs) um, and also the fact that it specifically is, is anime because a lot of anime does have, um, in a way that is not cyclical, and I think a little bit more critical in the way that Paranoia Agent is, will have like, oh, the teens are are learning to like fight back against the established society, and then like the final episode is always like the the Persona 4 Golden uh, epilogue thing where it's like, and here they all are, productive, straight members of society. <laughs> so straight um,
2: so normal yeah, we love how normal they yeah. are
0: it's so good that they learned how to fight the power so that uh kaji can become a good proper japanese boy with his I uh, proper I talk about it uh, his proper japanese girlfriend naoto uh, <laughs> um, um original persona 4 is great uh golden with the epilogue really really uh takes the know. wind
2: out of those sails <laughs> i mean the 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 epilogue of golden is just insult to injury yes. that, that that four already did like it was just like really rubbing your nose in it
0: <laughs> but like four <laughs> left open up open ended uh open ended enough that you could like maybe read some sort of radical queer thing into what was happening, even as there was still an option to be like weirdly transphobic to nauto um but yeah, Golden is just like no, no. You may have misread this. L- let me be clear. <laughs> <laughs> See, we you may have gotten fact, this wrong. <laughs> um. Anyway, sorry to distract you, <laughs> talking about Persona Four. Yeah, I, I, think I lost I n- my train of thought entirely. I, know that, I had like a good. <laughs> yeah, we both <laughs> have like weird old fondness for that uh, yeah. does not hold up to modern
2: scrutiny. <laughs> Oh, I know what it is. Sorry. It, um, no, I absolutely agree with what you're saying about that ending and about the equation. And I think um, I think in that ambiguity that you're talking about, where it could be like some sort of thing that only makes sense to Maniwa, it could be like literally saying, go back to the beginning. It could just be like anime, right? I think that yeah. ambiguity, therein lies the power. And I also think therein lies Cone's um, particular brand of humor that I think really gives his work that extra layer Um, that same kind of humor that comes to mind immediately is when, um, uh, in, in Tokyo Godfathers, when the Christmas miracle occurs, right? Like it's, it's the same kind of like tongue in cheekness, um, the same kind of willingness to sort of look you in the face about what's happening that I think is so, um, it's like the cherry on top of anything that's that cone has made. Yeah. Yeah, best Christmas and movie has, ever. Yeah, and and it's, I'm not going into it. It has so much power. <laughs> um, no, go on. Sorry, I just had
1: to, you know. Oh, no, no, that was the end of my sentence. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. It's um, such, a, such a good Christmas movie.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing, too, that I think is cute, if um, I, I think I've just adopted this, it's like going to be like, it, Cause it is the character for, uh, and then it like an equal side, which could be knee. Um, and then it could be an X, which would then also look like may if you wrote like an X character in Japanese, um, which I, I think there's just a lot that's being like pushed at there. If you do this uh, ambiguity reading about how he's writing this, those final characters, um, because the, if it equals X, that's a weird like returning to the beginning where a lot of equations will begin with X equals. And instead here you're coming around to an equals X. Um, Yeah, totally. And then also X being like within uh, Japanese, like the circle being the like approval um, or selection, you know, famously the, the PlayStation controller X is supposed to be cancel and circle is supposed to be, uh, except because those, like, <laughs> symbols of circle and X just are far more ingrained to mean those sure. things in Japan. Whereas uh, the fact that they made it blue and red just really fucking threw off Americans. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> true. hit I'm, I'm, the blue button.
2: That's I'm a firm approval. believer in hitting the blue button. I simply yeah. don't care what the symbol is. <laughs> the red button. Um, red means no. <laughs> <laughs> red means go back. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I just... I think that's just you know, just a tip of a ha- tip of the hat to his mastery that no matter how you look at whatever he's writing, it's an interesting way to look at the the series. It's an interesting way to conceptualize what's going on. Yeah. Um not easy and not an accident, you know?
0: Yeah. And I like this is a of all of the um and I mean it it's obviously prompting me to do this, but of all of the series that we've done on Ghost Divers, it's the one that I was most tempted to just immediately rewatch. Um even compared to Baccano one that I, I do think is also tempting you to go back and watch it because of how it's told non-linearly.
1: Um, is tempting me to go and read the Rani saga.
0: Yeah. Baccano more makes me want to read the, the light novels to find out more. I want to go Rani. to
1: ancient Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> <With> <laughs> and learn Ronnie. about the
0: ancient Egyptian Rani. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, be, because I, I do feel like there's, Uh, Kona's so good at, like, having very brief, like, I think he's talked about in interviews, it's nice people will say about some of his works, um, especially, uh, I think, Millennium Actress is one people say this about, but, like, there's a lot of ones where, like, couldn't you do a lot of this in live action? Why, like, why is this animation? Oh, a coward's Um, question. Yeah, it's a coward's question, but one of the things he also says is, like, there's no way for me to get an actor to do a gesture that's going to last, like, the exact two frames that I need to have that gesture ex- like occur on film so rapidly that I want it that rapid kind of like very briefly, you just see this thing. Um, if I animate it, I can get it exactly how I want. Mm-hmm. It would be like impossible to get that on two frames. Um, and I I think that like this show is just full of small details where you're like, well shit I've like for a brief fraction of a second saw a character who appears in another episode and what the fuck was that character's deal or, you know, especially towards the end where like everything is happening. Um, it does just feel like a show that is like littered with little tiny details that you can, um, pull out and not necessarily in a, if you find every single little detail, you will solve the mystery of the show. Um, just that he is a, a, a director i think who is very good at putting those sorts of things into his um works to make them so alive and like mm, yep uh just like give you those little joys of rewatching where you see shit that you never saw before um yep yeah this is the first time i noticed the, the anime thing um And then I noticed it in the, the Wikipedia summary when I was pulling it today. And I was like, weird. (laughs) Someone else noticed this. Um.
1: Yeah. I think um, that is definitely, there's a lot of ways that not just episode 10, um, that the show itself is about like anime. Um, And like it's relation to, um, I think Josh Articulate this earlier, um, it's relation to like narrative, um, and like, um, I would add like commercialism, um, and like the social moment, um, and how like, um, people like construct, um, use like fiction to, um, place themselves in the world and like, uh, construct and articulate like identities, um, and the fact that anime is such a, um, part of, um, it, like a- at the time that Paranoid Agent was made, uh, as well as today, um, the fact that anime it, itself is like such a dominant, uh, dominant form of media, um, like there, there seems to be a lot of, um, a lot of detail throughout the show that supports like, um, Th- this layer of interpretation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, does anyone want to talk about episode eight more? Um, Cause oh, that, totally. yeah. that was yeah. the one where I was just like, I mean, there are some things that I can say where I'm like, Oh, I see how this fits in. Um, but I-, I would just love it. If one of, if one of you had like a really <laughs> compelling, um, like case for, for how this fits in because it still stands out to me as like the one that is, is hardest to um, integrate.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, one, I just think that this episode is delightful. Um, it's like wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just a joy to watch. Um, it also is its own like little internal version of this thing that we're talking about where, um, I, when I finished this episode, this time I did go back because I had forgotten to look for it. Um, kind of knowing the premise of this, I forgot the part of, they don't have shadows. I, I remember that they were like, uh um, yeah, I told they missed that dad for most of it, but I, I forgot the part where they don't have shadows, um, and that the old man notices it. Um, Once again, Lem wants to, Oh no, it's Ollie this time. Um, but so I went back and I was like, do you ever see them with shadows? And I was like, throughout this entire episode, like when they first meet, they are in like a shady park. Um, anytime that they're like, might possibly be a shadow, they are, um, intentionally avoiding showing it to you. Um, and then I finally found the part where they're on the train um, and uh, is it Fuyabuki? What's the the old man's name? Um, Fuya. I thought there was a chut in there. Um, Fuyabachi. Uh... Fuyabachi. Um, where they're sitting, and then he's like asleep and falls over. But they're like, oh, they thought that he was dead for a second, but he's not. Um, and I noticed that you get like this shadow from the sun coming in uh, that's being cast on the seat, but he casts no shadow at that moment. Mm. So at that point they have to be like, at least he is already dead. Um, presumably all of them at that point. Um, but I don't think there's like a moment that like fully reveals, like they had shadows and now they don't. Um, in fact, I think that they intentionally have them in spaces where they would not be casting a shadow, like where nobody's casting a shadow, uh, for part of the beginning of the, the episode so that in theory they could have been dead when they first met up. Um, in the park. They could have like already been dead. Um, But, and that was just like a small thing. That's like giving me that um, immediate impulse that I think like the broader show then has of like, go back and, and watch it again and, and see if you can like pull more stuff out of it the second time. Um, The other thing is that I think this is just uh, in its own way, dealing with one of the biggest things that uh, a lot of Japanese culture like was dealing with around this time around um like disillusionment and um this like uh ju- like modern society in the way that it was affecting people which was just like rising suicide rates especially among um like teens and things in Japan um which lots of other works commented on um You know, a notable one that I mention all the time is Suicide Circle, aka Suicide Club, um, because it's obviously all about that. (laughs) Sign Um, up today. Yes. (laughs) And it's specifically about like a a internet suicide pact. Yeah. Um, But there are are, like numerous other works. We even talked in Lane about how some of Lane is starting to deal with this. Mm -hmm. Um, This like trend that was occurring in Japan and that a lot of stuff was trying to grapple with. So I think some of it is also dealing with that. But in a... Um, one, I think this episode is being kind of playful. Um, I think also there's a certain like contrast being drawn about how, uh, unpressured these people are. Um, in all of the other episodes, we've seen these people under like a great deal of pressure. Uh, and that is like what is driving them to this moment where Shonen Bat shows up. Um, and here, like, they've heard the rumors about the... And we talked last time, does Shonen Bat actually kill the the imposter, um, Kozuka Ma- uh, Makoto? Or did he kill himself? Which him being part of the suicide pact might actually point to that being the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once there's a news story of, oh you know the person they arrested and thought was Shonen Bat was was killed by Shonen Bat once that rumor spreads of course Shonen Bat's going to start going around killing everyone um so maybe that's also part of what's happening here is the like the jump from this is the the thing that gives you the excuse where you can you can take a rest and stop working um or where you can shunt off some of this responsibility it then becomes like more intensely destructive as it like gross throughout society um, and they're kind of giving you the contrast uh, contrast with like, oh, here are these actual like suicide pact members um, who in some way have actually like attained some not not in a fully pro suicide way, I don't think, but there there is a certain joke here of like, oh, they are they are coming here looking to die. And in fact, like by being a part of this pact, they have had a they found a community that means that they want to like continue to live. Mm-hmm. Um, I for I forget what um is it uh, Komome? Yeah, Kamome says. Yeah, the little girl. Um, yeah, but like I don't want to be alone. Um, and like oh, I always wanted to ride a train and they like ride a train and stuff. Um and by the end they've just like become this like weird little family that's just like happy <laughs> going around yeah. being ghosts. Um yeah. haunting it um, in, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how like um that aspect of like, okay, yeah, they're free. Um because well they're free, and they're also dead. Um, maybe they're, like, free from this pressure because they're dead. Yeah. Um, uh Potentially. And, uh, like, h- how we factor that into um, some of the larger stuff that's going on.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and you, also, you get, like, slight hints about why, like, the old man seems to have some sort of... Um, you know disease and he has like the last pill and i think he takes it and then at the beginning twice yeah Yeah, yeah. and then he always always
2: has a last pill yeah
0: and then when he sees the shadow he has to take his pill again and it's the last pill um and then uh presumably the um zebra you know might be some like oh you know, I I am gay and I'm struggling with like ostracization and whatever else. Perhaps a bad breakup in addition, or who knows. Uh, but I feel like the locket is like giving you a little hint of what might be going on with him, where where he would yeah. want to die. Um, and then the little girl Kamome, just like remains the mystery of like does does she know what she wants? Like uh, they're I mean, like yeah, I mean, trying being, to be a kid it is to so the much. entire <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Being a kid is so much, but not in a way that, like, once you grew up, you're like, I don't know why I was, like, that upset about how I couldn't have, like, another, yogurt. Y- like, yogurt <laughs> uh, tube or whatever. Like, <laughs> Ride um, or die yogurt. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. um, there is, like, this, um, really the, the, the main other thing that I wanted to, uh, to call out as something that I enjoyed, um. I'm bringing it up here cuz I I feel like it's slightly like somewhat related. Um, the uh I can't remember what, what episode it is, but um Ikari uh I think oh, it's episode 13 um, when Ikari like shatters the um nostalgia world and he's been like struggling with um this idea of home and like this displacement from, um, like, home in the sense of like uh, cultural and like social familiarity, um, like this world that he's longing for, um, but then also like home in the sense of his like familial home, um, and he's like yearning after this, and then he shatters the like false world and is like, oh, the reality is I have no place where I'm supposed to be. Um, which in my notes, I was like, oh yes, like Ikari has finally become the existentialist detective um, of the like, you know, existentialist detective fiction like thing um, where he's just like, yeah, I don't have like, um there's no like place for me, like ontologically, but I just exist and like. I'm just accepting that I exist without meaning or I exist without any home. And I'm like affirming that through will or something. Um, But as you were talking about episode eight, um, it made me think of like this idea where like, obviously the characters are all dead, um, but like, because they're dead, they just don't have, um, they have this, like, level of freedom, um, where they're not, like, bound by, like, oh, like, zebra and, like, doesn't need to have a job to make money to eat because he's a ghost. Um, yeah. And, uh, they're, like, and they're not affected by this, like, pressure of Shonen Bat. And, in fact, like, Shonen Bat is afraid of them and can't, like, affect them or whatever. Um, so there's something about that. Um, I, I feel like there is like a, a connection there um, to just like um, being dislocated.
2: Um, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Well, I, so, so I, I I'm sorry to cut you off. I, no, you're fine. I, I just, I, I do want to point out that um, when Slugger's in proximity to death is the only time his behavior kind of changes um he has this sort of comical running away from the trio in episode eight, which is um very unslugger-like. It almost seems like uh, another phony slugger, right? From mm-hmm, how yeah. he's behaving. Um and then in episode eleven, his um he's he behaves very atypically with uh Misae, right? A woman at Death's Door, um, a woman um who is sort of um at the end of her life herself. And, um, for me, episode eight is interesting, um, you know, sort of using, um, the same idea that I've had about how, you know, reality is something that is, um, negotiated upon and ideas, um, can, uh, shape that reality for you out of your, out of your hands. Um, because I, I think that in this show, um, particularly a show that has like you know this rpg universe and the the the, the, the cool japan universe and whatever um the, the, a, a death is just another negotiated reality right so um it it seems to me that um in addition to being like a like a fun pocket of this world uh the, the way that Cone portrays death both in episode eight and um, the way that uh, Misae is able to communicate with Akari in the end of the series, um, once she is at Death Store herself, it seems to me that this is just another um, negotiated reality wherein um, Slugger doesn't have the power that he has elsewhere because he doesn't act the same. Um, and you know, I, I don't think those are um, I don't think that's a coincidence necessarily. I, I think he he loses his his idea of this. Um, uh force of societal punishment or liberation based on how you look at it um when you're no longer bound to the shared reality of everyone around you
3: yeah
1: or like this the shared fear of death or something
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: um yeah so i i don't know if i'm prepared to um i feel like that could be a whole conversation in and of itself um, like paranoia agent and like like an existentialist reading and the concept of death that I'm like not prepared to do. Um, but I just wanted to like throw it out there. Um, yeah. If uh, any of our listeners uh, want to do a more detailed um, analysis of that, then please let me know, send it to us uh, in our uh, in our Gmail because I would love that.
0: Yeah. Is, is this the throw for me to do next episode?
1: Um, I think I, I'm good. That, uh, Like I said, that was the last thing I wanted to call out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I made that last point really well, so I'm going to exit on the winner. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: um, so next episode, we will do our question bucket. Um, we will be recording this probably Saturday, November 19th. Um, check as always the like episode description um where i will put the actual date if it's not that um but i I feel like we usually have saturday's free right the three of Uh, us yeah we can reconvene then uh for those of you listening that'll be we're recording in one week but uh us recording we got a, a ways to go um but yeah so if you have thoughts about you know as connor said things to throw to to send to us, or if you have um other interesting emails, uh questions for us, um, or if you want to know like what victims of shonen bat would uh order at Wendy's or whatever is <laughs> gonna come up with to send to us. Uh <laughs> you can send that to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Um then, final wrap up stuff. So, uh, thank you to the Export Audio Network for hosting us. Uh, if you go to exportod.io, you will go to the Patreon. Um, even if you don't want to give us money, there is like the description of the Patreon has links to all the public feeds for all of the shows and like discusses different shows. Um, so, you can go there and, and check out stuff on the network and um, listen to the free feeds that are. Again, we, we do not do the, we're not like on the Patreon coming out early, but uh, other shows on the network um, do, including my other podcast, uh, Ornate Stairwells, which is a movie podcast. Um, we have discussed uh, as main episode topics, both Millennium Actress and uh, Tokyo Godfathers. Um, also on the Millennium Actress episode, I talked about, per, er, about um, Perfect Blue some i feel like perfect blues come up multiple times because both autumn and i love it um then also connor and i do pondering putan which is a comedy podcast um where we read through the Cromartie high school manga and sometimes talk about it no that's we feel it. like it's
1: it. all we do is read through the manga
0: yeah <laughs>
2: that's it you, you, it's your weekly 30 minutes of dead air uh,
0: um yeah, sometimes <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that, like, we've talked about, uh, I think more off mic, Connor, um, is that even when we don't talk about the manga at all on the episode, uh, the show as a whole is still tackling the topic of analyzing the humor of Cromartie High School, um, because I just feel like the, the humor in that manga permeates both of our sense of humor and especially how it manifests on that show so um even when i'm doing an extended pitch for hobonichi Teicho planners um <laughs> I, a- I am in fact still talking about the humor of running high school um <laughs> anyway uh, absolutely yeah um you can follow the podcast at Ghost Divers Pod on Twitter or just at Ghost Divers on co host. You can follow me at Fox Mom Nia on Twitter and co host. Uh, you can also follow my account at Media of Pile, Media underscore Pile um, on Twitter, where sometimes I post screenshots or whatever about things I'm currently reading or watching. Um, where can people follow you, Connor?
1: Uh, y'all can follow me at Rabelais, R A B B L E A I S on Twitter and co host.
0: And there's so many good posts on both of those accounts. You are just like a A-class <laughs> poster. Um, yeah, I just I, it out. I didn't out. I didn't know that about
2: you, Connor. Yeah. Yeah, I just
0: crinked it out. <laughs> um, where can people find you, Josh? What stuff do you want to promo? Um, well, first
2: and foremost, if you enjoyed even, I would say, 5% of my brain geniusing on these last two episodes <laughs> about Paranoia Agent, Um, I do it every week (laughs) for at swim fans. Um, We are a genre film podcast, um, typically erotic thriller. We had a long teen movie stint and we do occasional breaks. Uh, We just finished um, this past summer. We just finished our second cruel summer series, which is crime, neo-noir, what have you. Um, We just did our bloodbath series in October when this comes out, um, which is horror So we break it up to keep it a little fresh, and so I don't um, uh, go insane watching fucking (laughs) erotic thrillers all the time. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, it's full of these uh, same series uh, with my uh, beautiful co-hosts, Alex and Craig. Um, So if that's of interest to you, please check out the show. Uh, Swim Fans is available on uh, all your podcatchers of choice, so like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, what have you. Um, And you can follow the show on social media, uh, twitter instagram and letterboxd at user swim pod um to see um whatever alex and craig post on twitter uh on the account that i then i have to panic and worry about what they're posting <laughs> when i'm not paying attention mm. um and myself you can find a twitter instagram and letterboxd as well at user ramans uh, AMO um i guess
0: i guess that's it
1: um thanks for having me on. This is yeah. super fun oh yeah it it was great. um please uh join us again um just whenever you get the hankering.
2: yeah, send um, me the list of what you're what you're doing um,
1: um also, Kawazu is definitely getting chilly at Wendy's. <laughs> 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 I'll just go ahead and yeah. I'll just snip that one in the bud
0: yeah, uh, you know, before anyone gets any other ideas in their head, yeah. Um, just answer that right now. Uh, Well, I I don't know what level of
2: cruelty your listeners are on, but I will not be taking (laughs) questions about Tokyo Godfathers. I'm just going to say that right up front. (laughs) I I said what I said, and I'm not backing down, and I will not
0: be taking questions.
2: Um, You have all but guaranteed that
1: we will now get a question about Tokyo Godfathers.
0: Yeah, uh, (laughs) Juo is going to write in or something for sure. Um, Great, I will
2: will simply not answer
0: (laughs) (laughs) um anyway uh normally we finish this podcast by we all just say bye but considering that the end is the beginning maybe we should say hello so hello hi hi
3: hello I am also recording now. Time recording.
1: Is. Oh yeah. <clears throat> nice. It's it's good to have someone else to do that because I did that joke for like ten episodes or so. How did um, it land? I don't know if it ever made it in.
0: <laughs> oh, it did. You think oh, it I did. cut stuff? <laughs> with the with the with the length
2: of the Ghost Evers podcast episodes i can't imagine.
3: Yeah, that's true.
0: We I mean, it all second. ends up after the ending theme, but it i mean it's in there.
2: I
1: just carry my microphone with me into the bathroom whenever we do <laughs> bathroom break. It's just like once we start recording it to like three hours from everything that we do the next three and a half hours is going to get recorded right a a perfect time
2: capsule of three hours of existence exactly (laughs)
1: um Um, are we going to do a drink check
0: oh yeah do we want to do that first or or clap first you're the the editor so (laughs) it doesn't really matter let's just let's Uh, just clap
1: yeah okay um
2: Let's
0: do 41. Okay.
1: Alright. Okay. Neve, you want to go first on the drink check?
0: Um, yeah. So, uh, first things first, I have Asahi. It's in a can. Um, it's like literally the can of Asahi that Uh, Osaki Nana drinks. So I got some Asahi. Still living the dream. Yeah. Um, Then the other thing I have in here is water. Um, I have it in two different um, like vessels here. Uh, So both of these are from Porter. I I guess I'll have to bleep these um, brand names as well. But um, so one of them is glass and it's the one that I drink out of first because it's not going to really retain the, the cold temperature that I want with my water. I like cold, like ice cold water. Um, and it's just like a very soft, like, uh, dusty rose pink, um, sort of, uh, you know, silicone wrapping so that you're not just like banging glass around when you're carrying your water (laughs) bottle around. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) dusty rose. Okay. Pantone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah um i mean it It was a popular pantone color that's why i specifically called it out um and then it has on that like silicone um you know wrap basically uh there is some uh engraving that just says brat <laughs> emily got this one of course nice. there is um and then the other one is the same brand um, uh, but it's their, they're like thermos style. So, um, it's a metal thermos, but then there's like a ceramic finish put on it. So, um, like the part that you're actually drinking out of is ceramic. Um, and it's also like the similar dusty rose, but this one has these like various colored flakes in that silicone. Um, and because there's the flakes, they don't let you do, um, the engraving. So uh, this one does not say anything on it, other than mm-hmm. the brand name. Yeah, it's somewhat more cowardly than the first one. Yeah, but at some point, it you'll hear the squeak of me opening that thermos, um, and that's when I finished the, the first water, and I'm moving on to a nice new ice cold. It has been kept cold. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So those are my two drinks.
2: Uh, Josh, you want to go next? Sure. Um, I have two bottles, and they are unremarkable except for the fact that they are completely identical. Um, they are they are twin bottles, um, long and graceful necked as a swan. Uh, one has uh, the sparkly water that I am um, known for. I uh, am the only person who drinks it, um, and then the other is uh, water still as a uh, still as a calm evening night. <laughs>
1: Were you the one saying that you had a SodaStream?
2: I did just get a SodaStream. It's changed yeah. my life, Connor.
1: Okay. That's why you're <laughs> the only one who drinks that particular type of sparkling water.
2: Yeah. Wait, yeah.
1: You, mean, you mean sparkling water from your SodaStream.
2: Yeah. I, I'm a fiend yes. for it. I drink it by the liter um, to my boyfriend's horror because they, you know, they have to keep buying <laughs> little tanks, but uh, <laughs> they make me happy. It keeps me going, and uh, I need it.
1: Yeah. It's amazing what bubbles do for water. Yeah. yeah just a little carbonation and all of a sudden water is like appealing again
2: yeah i mean it's oh it's water evolved um mm, yeah <laughs> it's it's the we should PS- replace all water <laughs> <laughs> it's the yeah. playstation vita to water's psp <laughs> it's fantastic um, <laughs>
0: this this water's got a little something going on mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah she's we
1: different we should just we should just terraform the earth
0: replace all water with
1: carbonated water
2: (laughs) it'll be worth it for the complete ecosystem collapse (laughs) (laughs) mineral
0: water as far as the eye can see that's what we need to take this
1: planet to the next
0: level honestly so so true (laughs) um have you ever been to, to germany josh i have not been to germany Um, you'd get on great. If you ask for water in Germany, they give you the bubbly stuff. You have to specifically ask for still water. If you don't want bubbles in it, Europe is so right. (laughs) 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 In this backwater country, Mm -hmm.
2: it's good to know there's good places.
1: I've heard though, that in Europe, if you order like a soft drink or soda, they only give you one. Instead of just refilling it, like, endlessly.
2: Yeah, that's true. They also don't Isn't, give you ice.
1: Yeah. So, they're maybe not quite <laughs> so as civilized There's ups and downs, as, is as we what thought. you're saying. Yeah. yeah. There's pros and cons. <laughs> uh,
0: also, they don't have air conditioning, which sucked when I was there in the middle of summer. Um, and so... More for more time than I would have liked to during my trip to Berlin where my dad was born uh, we just found this one like coffee shop that was essentially in a cellar and so it was cold down there right <laughs> but you'd like go down in and it was cold um, and I was like okay I guess I'm just living here for like a few hours every day so I don't die of heat stroke because <laughs> um, <laughs> nobody else fucking air conditions i Um, went to i
2: went to several bars when i was in europe that were like um dungeons like like they were like like dungeon themed and they were all (laughs) subterranean and it was great it's like because they they really are comfy down there
0: yeah (laughs)
3: Hmm.
1: um yeah when you said that they were dungeons i was like oh okay so they're underground but then the the like specifically dungeon themed is uh yeah, they it's really nice, they, nice they lean,
2: touch. They lean into it. Um specifically I'm thinking of the one that I went to uh, when I was in Ljubljana, Slovenia, because like the center of the city is like a castle on a on a mountain. Um mm-hmm. so like everything kind of like uh, leading up to it is um you know a little more of that classic like Viennese kind of look, that kind of European architecture. Um and then it, all of the basement stuff is just holes in the ground for you to have beer. <laughs> it's it's cool.
1: Random, serious question. Um, would you recommend going to Slovenia? Because for some random reason, I've always wanted to go. Yes. Um,
2: yeah, Yeah. Um, I uh, had a design internship there um, in 2012. So I lived there for a few months. Um, and my uncle uh, has lived there with his wife and children for the past, I don't know, almost 20 years now. So we've been several times. Um, Ljubljana is fantastic. Um It's very walkable. Um, Everybody's very nice. Um, If you're concerned about a language barrier, everybody, you know, in my experience, Slovenes are very shy about speaking English, but everybody's fluent. But they all think they're Mm -hmm. terrible. But then they speak and it's (laughs) just perfect English. So Um, as far as like Euro destinations, I think it's probably more on the affordable side. Um, I love Slovenia. I think it's
0: fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Um, Good to know. Um. One of the things I find while this is just true, like most places you travel, but obviously also Europe. <clears throat> um, but like when you're, when you grow up in the US and you live here, you'll go to like, they'll be like, this building is super old. It's like the oldest building in this entire city. It was built in like 1850, you know, yeah. here in the US. You go to like Europe or, you know, other places. Like I, China had this vibe too, but uh, you'll you'll be like, oh, what's that like weird building out behind your house? And they'll be like, oh yeah, our it's like been on this property for seven hundred years. It's a piece of shit. I just like stored some rakes in it. And you're like, <laughs> <Yeah>. what? <laughs> Like, okay. Oh yeah, that's
1: that's from when that's from when the city was a Roman fort.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh that—that's just my rectory. So yeah. <laughs> the rats always get in, so I can't really do anything about it. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking when you when you brought up the dungeon thing. Because I was like, you know, if if your country is old enough to like have existed during the time when dungeons were more of a thing, then you really gotta milk
2: that oh 100 percent yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey connor what are you drinking <laughs> yeah oh jesus
3: yeah
1: i forgot um so uh okay so first i have um speaking of germany um i have a francis connor beer um i've never figured out if francis connor is like the brand or if that's just sufficient just like identification yeah, or the guy, yeah, <laughs> um, this guy on the on the label, um, but yeah, I, I like this beer. Um, I don't know anything more about it. Neve probably does um, enough to like explain explain it. Um,
2: yeah, what's, what's the mouth feel like?
1: You know what? Let me try. Let me let me let me get some mouth feel, and then I'll tell you.
0: <laughs> so is this the Francis Connor Munich Visa?
1: It is um, the Weissbier.
0: beer. Yeah,
1: it, it doesn't say anything about Munich on here. Okay. Um, um. you you hold on, hold on, you distracted my mouthfeel. <laughs> <Wait a second. laughs> okay. Um, it's a. It's it feels a little thin, um, like when it hits your tongue. But it foams up really fast. I don't know if that's just because like it's not super cold or whatever, um, but it does have a very satisfying like foaminess to it. Um, I like it foamy. <laughs> yeah, you'd love this. Um, <clears throat> the thing that I like is that it it it's probably related to the wheat, but it's got a sweetness that is like ever so slightly um, reminiscent of bananas. Yeah. And banana. oh, okay. For some reason, that's just really, yeah, really that's nice. really
0: common with, um, have I think the, the banana quality. So like the, the wheat provides some of it, but the yeast is actually what gives you that like banana and like slight that like sweet banana, but then also like a little bit of like, there's just the hint of spice. Mm, yeah. You know?
1: Um, and there's a slight hint of like hops as well. There's a slight bitterness. Yeah. Um, normally, I really don't like uh, sweet beer, mm-hmm. but this is like—it's just a really well balanced beer. Um, and also, just like once again in praise of the foaminess, because I just had another sip. Um, it foams up quickly, but like the consistency after it foams is is really nice. Um, It's, like, a perfect blend of foam and liquid. Um, Yeah. So you feel like you're, like... Well, there there you go. Yeah.
3: Um,
1: So you actually... You feel like you're drinking something just, like, really creamy and frothy. um, And not just, like, inhaling a bunch of foam. It's very comfortable to to drink. Um, Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So uh, I've got that. Um, I had two. But... um, in the course of opening the other one, I somehow like shattered the glass. <laughs> um, oh no! I like we broke the glass on the top when I was trying to like pry the um the cap off. So do I
0: need to like get you a new beer opener? Or what's going on over there? <laughs> I
1: I don't know. I mean, this is a new beer opener. Um, Connor's so only developed just...
2: super strength; Can't can no longer do tasks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I really don't know what what happened. I was just opening it normally like I've opened hundreds of other beers and it just went like, it just shattered. Um, So uh, there was like a very good percent chance that glass was in the beer. So I just set it off to the side. Um, Sure. I'll drink that
2: second. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Depends on on how thirsty you are, you'll risk the glass.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, <laughs> I also have water. Um, you know, it's, it's okay. Uh, could, could be a lot better as we've covered already.
0: Wow. Um, Connor coming out saying water is mid. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like by definition, by <laughs>
2: definition. <laughs> yeah. Take it up with the whales, buddy. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then lastly, um, I have some green tea uh, still Kyoto cherry rose um, which is it's really nice. Um, got it from a local store a local uh, tea shop um, and it has like cherry blossoms in it um, so it's it's quite floral um, but it's also just a little sweet um, and then like the kind of grassy that you would. Um, expect. Um, I think the real highlight of my drink check is the receptacle that I'm drinking the green tea out of. Um. So I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan of large mugs. Yeah. Um. Because mm-hmm. typically, whenever I'm drinking something out of a mug, I want to drink a lot of it. Um. So the mug I have here. Is a mug from the Ark Experience, um, which, if you're not familiar, is the creationist museum in Kentucky.
2: <laughs> um, oh, part aim.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I haven't been, but um, my girlfriend's mom has one. It's pretty nearby where I live. It's probably about forty-five minutes away. Um, and my girlfriend's mom came to visit a couple months ago, um, and like really wanted to go. Um. So, and my girlfriend has wanted to go for a while too, um, just to like, you know, check it out. The totally,
2: I I I support it.
1: Yeah, just you know, s- hear their side of the story. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so she she apparently they have a great gift shop, and uh, this is like a this is a really high level mug. Um, it uh, it's like. Uh, on the outside it has like so on the outside and the inside um, I'm not going to go too much into their like you know um, their like whatever it is um, like fundamentalist biology uh, alternative evolution theory Um, but they have like their own like clads of animals they've like created their own it's like non-linear um that like their theory is basically founded on um so you have like representations on the outside of the mug of each of like the clads um and they're like raised um i'm trying to think of what the um the sculpture term is for it, but it's like in um, relief, right? It's in relief, exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
2: Okay. Uh, could you um, photograph the smug? I want to see a picture of the smug. Okay, well, yeah. I'm gonna have
1: to. I'm gonna have to
2: turn on a light here. Give me one second. <laughs> I think you're winning oh, yeah. the beverage uh, <laughs> discussion.
0: Oh, this is this is a thing about Connor is that he records in total darkness, aside from the glow of the monitor. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's optimal podcasting, in my opinion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do record in the light, but typically that's like a more of a Putin right um, situation.
2: Yeah, if you don't look like me mania when you're podcasting, <laughs> it's just not correct. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Uh, well, Connor gets this this photo. I'm gonna say I don't think I'll mention this in the the episode, but um, I ended up not watching Paprika this week, like I was hoping to watch because um, I just ran out of time and what I watched instead was the entirety of the Twilight Saga so oh wow (laughs) Um, just ran out of time time. (laughs) by the time this episode goes out um the ornate stairwells where I talk about the full Twilight Saga um all five movies will will have already been released but um
1: okay these pictures are kind of shitty but I'm uploading them um, so you have sense. the Oh, wow yeah. Oh, I had to turn my light off, so I can podcast again. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, as you can see, like I don't know if my photo does it justice, but the the figures are in relief. Um, yeah, and it, all around you have like each of the figures, and then a little description telling you, um, you know, I- explaining. What the real like biological or like pseudo evolutionary lineages of these, um, and then on the inside you have like um, just silhouetted uh, version like illustrations of the same. Yeah. Um, so when you're drinking, it's like you look on the outside. Uh, it's like a memory aid, basically.
0: <laughs> like sure. you're looking at the
1: outside. You drink. You're looking at the liquid, you're looking at the figures You can remember that um, There's only five kinds of animals
3: (laughs) You got your
2: giraffes You got your dogs (laughs) You've got got your your dinosaurs You've got your cats (laughs) It's so good to remember the five kinds of animals
1: (laughs) I will say once you start thinking about the like the whole arc situation in with this like with this knowledge that there's only five kinds of animals, it yeah. makes a lot more sense
0: yeah a lot of people got their personas
2: edited <laughs>
1: they're no longer canonical <laughs> it starts starts seeming a lot more
0: practical if you only have oh, like 10 oh, animals <laughs> there even if two, two of them are tyrannosaurus dinosaur oh, i'm i missed there are two dinosaur kinds <laughs> there's the the psilosaur kind and the tyrannosaur kind Right, I love that yeah.
2: I love that while well, both cats and dogs I would say are charismatic megafauna enough to qualify. I love the giraffes for making the cut for kind of animals I mean realistically that I feel like that's only because, like
1: when they were sitting down to put this together, someone was like, "All right, giraffes, and they were like, "Okay, there's no fucking way." <laughs> we just can't account for this any other way <laughs> simply a long
2: dog
0: It's <laughs> very simple <laughs> we,
1: we just have to think, give them their own shit
0: you, you would think you would just do like deer and then a giraffe is just a deer with a long neck if you're doing this simple or like thing. horse which I think yeah, is like
1: horse. related which is like distantly related to giraffe
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean so obviously funny. a horse is giraffe kind <laughs> Um, Uh, so are all birds just like one of these dinosaur kind
2: yeah perhaps perhaps the more the more petite dinosaur (laughs) they actually
1: at the the start at the like first begin first part of the museum they they have a plaque and they just say don't ask about birds
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean i don't you fucking ask i guess like there there's Fish and all fish are just fish. There's birds and all birds are just birds. And then there's animals and that's where you have to get into kinds. <laughs> exactly. Right? Don't don't ask about yeah. insects either. <laughs> yeah. Bugs are fake. If you ask about bugs, <laughs> you will be asked
2: to leave. Bugs are just the animals that God <laughs> decided to punish. <laughs> then they lead you into their to their karmic chain wing. <laughs> <we talk> <laughs> Bugs are
1: just um. descended from all the other animals, but they just they just pissed God off once they got off the ark.
2: Your bugs are punished giraffes. <laughs> this is biology.
1: The drafts really started like hundred years after the ark shit ended. Like drafts were really just doing some shit. So God was just like, "Yeah, no, nah. y'all are fucking y'all are fucking insects now."
0: Is the reason why it's giraffe kind is that there's just so many, like, <laughs> illustrations of the arcs made for children where two giraffes are going up by <laughs> 10? <mountain. laughs> like, giraffes with, the like, their, their
1: head hanging out of the, like, arc window or whatever? Right. Yeah,
2: <laughs>
1: yeah that's got that's gotta be it.
2: Okay, I um, posit that to get other kinds of animals, you simply mix a couple of the kinds. Uh, yeah. Like Ooh, I, yeah. Like I believe that to get perhaps say a hippopotamus, you would mix uh, giraffe kind and celiacor kind,
3: <laughs> and that would Definitely. approximate a hippopotamus. One hundred percent.
0: I have often said that a fox is like a, a mix between a cat and a dog. So sure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> See, so foxes are covered under this theory. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm telling you, just like hear, just hear the arguments. Cause,
0: Cause, you know me identifying with foxes. I know all, all kinds of fox facts, like the fact that they have eyes like cats with the slit instead of dog eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, they also hunt like cats. They do like mm-hmm. the pouncing. So, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So it's all part of God's plan.
0: Uh, it makes sense. This mug's this mug's selling me.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we believe in creationism now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a yeah. believer. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. Um yeah, this mug has taught me so much. Uh, it's also really big and good and good to drink stuff out of. Um, so that's really working for me. Yeah, um, yeah. If I'm feeling cheeky later, I might put my glassy beer in the in the creationism mug and just fucking kill myself.
0: Um. Do we Do we want to start the episode? Yeah. <laughs> Because I could rip on this yeah. fucking
2: mug for another hour. You should buy
1: one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just buy one Just, for for all three of the swim fans. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Just put one out like somewhere in your house so we can bring you joy.
0: <laughs> you explaining to your boyfriend why you have the creationism mug? <laughs> Yeah, like
1: when it, I'm just visualizing you, like, it's the package comes in the mail and you're just, like, so excited.
2: <laughs> Babe, you don't get and it. One fifth of animals are giraffe face. <laughs> yeah, those giraffes have a lot of DNA. Let me tell
3: you. Uh, uh,
0: all right, let me catch my breath and then I yeah. will start this episode. Um,. All right. I might do a body break before we get into it,
3: and then I'll... Okay, that actually sounds good. I'll go in with that,
0: yeah. Um, I could kind of use a pee break. You want us to just keep recording, right? Yeah,
2: just keep recording. Yeah, I'm bringing my microphone. Thank you, Connor. Thank (laughs) you for your service. (laughs) I am back. Hello. Hello. Um. <laughs> I hope we can talk about the anime episode again, because I want to share my experiences oh, in the animation industry. <laughs> no, I,
0: I, I think this is a thing that happens a lot on Ghost Divers, which is we kind of start talking through the episodes, and then we hit a point where we're like, let's just do the ending and we just talk about the ending, and we get that out of the way, and then we'll like go back and be like, "What are some other yeah. fun things that we want to touch on?" Oh no, that's um, fine. I'm excited to talk about yeah. The ending. I'm I'm less like anxious back, to get to it with with this one, whereas like we did like um, Ava. Yeah, Ava was a big one. We're just throughout the entire one. I was just like, I want to talk about the end. <laughs> it's it's, it's Such like, a like, fantastic just ending. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> we, were, um, we were we both just like had we both just really wanted to talk to each other. Like we had different views on it that we needed to get out. Yeah. We never talked we exactly about
0: the ending, but we had talked enough to know intuitively that we had like very different reads on the ending of, mm-hmm. uh, both the anime and then also end of Evangelion. Um, and so, but, we needed to get that conversation on a podcast, which meant we had to sit through multiple episodes <laughs> of talking about other episodes of the yeah, show about before episode we could 17 get seventeen the- of yeah. Evangelion. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> or like the whole time we were like building up to it, though. Yeah, like my the entire time for me was like, okay, well, first of all, I'm going to see like if I still feel the same way um, about the ending after watching it and talking about it. Um, but the other part was like. I'm like making my whole case for what I think this like show is doing.
2: Were you and pro I'm, or were you pro or anti Connor?
1: Pro or anti?
0: Oh, the show. Uh, um, well,
2: I, I guess more. Did you find the ending effective or not? Um, or, is that, or is that not the discussion?
0: I, I think the true breakdown was end of Evangelion, the movie. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I'm Connor really likes it, and I think it's Evangelion. kind of wretched.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um,
1: I'm pro like, I'm pro series and pro movie.
0: Um, I'm I'm pro series anti movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it came down to. Mm. Interesting. Um. Anyway, so shall we get into? (laughs) Are we talking paranoia agent?
3: (laughs) Yeah.